This is the Hagman and Hagman Report for today. It is Monday, January 25th, 2016. We're coming to you live from our radio and television studios here in beautiful northwest Pennsylvania. Actually cold, blustery, windy, snow. Yeah, you, you know what it's like, especially those of you on the East Coast. Uh, Global Star Radio Network is uh, beaming far and wide and powerful. Not going to be deterred by the snow. Not intimidated by one or two or three or four feet of snow. Anyway, folks, uh, we broadcast live each and every weeknight via the Global Star Radio Network. It's Monday through Friday, 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern Time. And, of course, we're simulcast on Blog Talk, and um, also you can watch us as well on our YouTube channel there. Just go to hagmanandhagman.com, click on the link to the YouTube channel, or just watch it right on the on the website. It's right there. Um, all, all broadcasting venues, however, can be found at our home base on the Internet at hagmanandhagman.com. For those who don't know, I'm Doug Hagman at the helm with fellow investigator researcher, Researcher and, and, of course, my son, Joe Hagman. Together, we are the Hagman and Hagman Report, what I like to call America's premier father-son re- reporting team. We dig deep into topics that the cap- captured Illuminati-controlled mass media won't, don't, never will. And uh, we're glad to do so. And, you know, many, many people hear the coincidence theory of news. Well, we don't. We We look into the conspiratorial aspect, and we find it everywhere we look. Well, not everywhere. No, we don't have aluminum foil wrapped on our heads. But, you know, it's hard to argue that we are seeing um, some things play out, of course, that uh, that are indeed uh, indeed conspiratorial. Folks, uh, portions of a nice broad- broadcast brought to you, really proud to announce, brought to you by um, Nuts.com. If you haven't gone to Nuts.com, have you gone to Nuts.com? My goodness, or, it, it, what a great website, nuts.com. I, I get I get hungry just thinking about it and going there, and you can spend a lot of time there if you'd like. Folks, go to nuts.com, enter the um, enter our microphone code, HH, that's HH in the microphone code box, and there you'll find just a fantastic, and I mean a fantastic um, array of, of nuts and snacks to choose from. Again, Nuts.com, microphone code HH. As well, you know, how about this, folks? How about this? How about Heaven's Harvest? It, it, never heard of it, you asked? It's a new sponsor. Yeah. we have. Yeah. Well, Heaven's, Heaven's Harvest is, wow. You know, you look at agriturism in the USA. It, is it possible, for example? Oh, more on this later, but... Uh, if you go to HagmanandHagman.com and click on the link to Heaven's Harvest, or, or better yet, you know what they did? This is really interesting. And, and again, we're talking about long-term storable seeds. And if you, if you go to HagmanSeeds.com, that's HagmanSeeds.com, HagmanSeeds.com, hmm, bang, it'll take you directly to Heaven's Harvest. What a great uh, great company as well. So anyway, it'll be a great show for you uh, planned for tonight, folks. Yeah, we do. We got um, 
two guests that will be joining us tonight. Uh, our first guest will come in on hour number two. His name is Bill Warner. His website is politicalislam.com. He is the author of several books. Um, some of you might have heard of them before, The Political Transitions of Muhammad, The Islamic Doctrine of Slavery, Muhammad and the Unbelievers, and Sharia Law for Non-Muslims. Um, he's made over 90 videos on YouTube, and his YouTube channel is politicalislam.com. He's been a, uh, a businessman and a professor and author. He has the director for the Center of Study of Political Islam and the first person to take the scientific method to produce the first Quran that can be read and easily understood. He'll be joining us in hour two, and we'll be talking about a number of things uh, concerning Islam. That's necessary to understand, Iran, right? ISIS and the things we see today, absolutely, uh, with the Arab Spring going on. And also, uh, Katie from Essential Oils will be our guest in hour number three. And it's not going to be about Essential Oils, folks. It's going to no. be something very important. Very important disclose tonight. Um, you're going to want to stay for hour three. Uh, just going to make an announcement tonight. Yeah, yeah. I know that's as far as we'll go. You know, before we get the show started, I I, I came across uh, some information over the weekend. I was doing. I've been doing a lot of research, and um, you know, we talk about the war on drugs. We talk about the war on poverty. We talk about the war on terror. Well, folks. How successful have all of these wars been? I mean, really, when you when you look at it, let me take you back to nineteen nineteen sixty four. The war on poverty. Do you remember the war on poverty? Nineteen sixty four. You don't. Oh, I, I remember, remember it well. Yeah. No. Well, you have to. I mean, look. Lyndon uh, Johnson. I mean, there's a generation of people <sighs> out know. there. Uh, I'm thirty two years old. Be thirty three this year. I don't remember the, I mean, I remember a little bit about the war on drugs because, you know, in elementary school, you'd have a firefighter or a police officer come to your class and they'd give you a, one of those dare stickers. Um, right. And, not uh, as useful as, uh, yeah. Well, not as useful as duct tape, but, you know, well, here's a little bit of trivia that I came across and I just thought, thought this was interesting. Um, we, we had, We've spoken about the counterculture. We've spoken about mm-hmm. how, uh, you know, the music and all of this. And, um, we, we spoke about the Manson murders in, in the context of satanic sacrifice and counterculture and all of that, Charles Manson in the past. And, uh, Peter Lavenda wrote a great a series of books, Sinister Forces. It's a trilogy. And, um, when I was looking for some information, I knew it was in one of his three books and, that specific series. So I went to our library and uh, pulled down the books, and I was looking through, trying to find this one piece of information unrelated to what I'm about to tell you. But I thought this was interesting, and I, and I, when I, since I read it, I recalled it. I thought, man, I, I got to make sure I share this with you. Well, if you think our government, for example, is capable of running anything or doing anything, well, think about this. There's a town. Um, it's, it, it, it's really it's an App- Appalachian town. You know how poor Appalachia is, you know, in the Kentucky, West Virginia, all through mm-hmm. the Appalachians, okay? Well, back in 1964, then-President Lyndon Johnson, he stood, and, and you might be able to find this in magazines or news clips, he stood in front of this old ramshackled house in this Appalachian town of Inez, Kentucky, which is about 50 miles south of Ashland where he announced that he was launching, the government was launching the war on poverty. Again, he did so outside a small shack in the hollow to the 
backbeat of television crews and and print reporters. I was in 1964. 28 years later, 1992, writes Lavenda. The shack that the shack would. 28 years later, in 1992, that particular house was still standing. Okay, and its once favorite, uh, famous inhabitant, Tommy Fletcher, still lived there. Think about that for a second. Sixty-four. We're gonna. So they use the, this house as the backdrop of launching the war on on poverty, right? But, but but it takes an even more interesting and ominous and sinister, if I may, twist. <clears throat> the guy that lived there again, Tommy Fletcher. Well, still live there, but television crews returned. Only this time. They would return to report that he and his current wife had been indicted for murders, or for murder, that is, for having children and then killing them off one by one for the insurance money. Okay? For having children and then killing them off one by one for the insurance money. The body of their daughter at that time, little three-year-old Ella Rose Fletcher, had been exhumed, and the authorities did the autopsy, and they found that... uh, she died of an overdose of antidepressant medication, and worse than that, well, equally bad, of course, she was sexually molested. Her four-year-old brother, Tommy Fletcher Jr., he was hospitalized a month later after his sister's death, showing the same symptoms of drug poisoning. And you know, there was a $5,000 insurance policy on both of the children. What do you think now about this? War on poverty. Hey, you Marxist progressives that think you can throw money at a problem. You know, you think that you can declare war on poverty. What do you think now? Tommy Fletcher is exhibit A that you lost. We lost the war on poverty. Now, again, 64. Big production. Lyndon Johnson. LBJ. Right in front of this shack. Tommy Fletcher. We're gonna, we're gonna save you. We're coming to your rescue. Think about that for a second. Well, think it's about like that. the, uh, the educational system, when you look at the amount of uh, funding and money that has gone into the educational system to see each generation of children become dumber and dumber, you have to start to wonder how much is throwing money at the problem actually fixing or helping the problem, or is it continuing or spreading it? Huh. I mean, the educational system is different from the, the war on poverty in a way, but um, well, it's, it's an example of how throwing money at the problem is not always the answer. What, what, what this, the, if we make it to the election, and, and I say that if because there's a lot of news, folks. I did a, um, from my office, I did a, um, a video today, earlier today. If you want to check it out, it's on YouTube. It's, it's, uh, I think it's accessible via Northeast Intelligence. Hey, Homeland Security US.com, the site we yeah. had when we started that you started after 9 11. Uh, yep, yep. Um, has been up, but it's it's back up and running uh, with a scary kind of a scary <laughs> face. Actually, um, you can all you can all. <laughs> thanks, Eric. <laughs> Eric just put it up, and you can, you can, you can always just cut off that top banner and, and put a blue dot over the face there. Uh, I know it's I know it's pretty rough, but uh, I was I was actually at the doctor's today and and uh, uh, for you know just for dumb stuff and. The doctor said, do you mind if a, a med student comes in and, you know, 
hangs out and watches, you know, I'm training her. And I said, look, I don't care, you know, just don't fall in love, honey. No, I'm <laughs> just, I'm kidding. I actually, I did say that to her, you know, and she gave me this really, like, you know, weird look, but, um, you know, I, I said, man, you know, I'm hideous. Look away. Look away. So feel free. Look away. Anyway, the message is important because, and, and maybe we can start off there with, with respect to the news today. Um, you know, folks, uh, last Wednesday, and, and I don't know how many people caught this, and we were kind of watching this, and we thought, well, you know, at first, at first I thought this was just nothing more than a, a reiteration of, of the Patriot or NDAA, NDAA, that is, given the time of the year, or, um, but no, the, the, um, the Senate joint resolution that was, uh, that's being, uh, tossed around. Yeah. You know. We talked about this last Friday. Right. We did. I know we did, but not in the depth that Mm-mm. really we should have. Uh, folks, what Obama, what, what Harry Reid is doing, I don't know, and none of the mainstream media is, go ahead. I'm going to play, a, I'm going to send this video to Eric. Eric, if uh, you uh, No. You it's know, a, it's a one, ten, one minute, ten second video clip of a senator warning about what this, what is in this bill. And I guess we don't have to play the video. Um, uh, just go ahead and if you can just paraphrase it. Because the reason I'm saying that is because of some technical issues here, but it's up to you. Well, this resolution is a new authorization for military force declaring war on ISIS as the excuse, but it is apparently implemented worldwide. It gives the president unprecedented war powers that amount to declaring martial law upon the entire world. Uh, Majority Leader Mitch McConnell um, surprised I'm sorry, Mitch McConnell, not Harry Reid. What am I saying? Mitch McConnell. Yes, saying that the was a uh, war resolution ready to be voted on at any time. This was right before the blizzard, um, as Washington D.C. was getting ready for the that uh, big snowstorm this weekend. But this new authorization of use for military force is used, as they say, for declaring war on ISIS. But it gives the, the president even more powers than they had after the Patriot Act and 9/11, and even the NDAA. It continues the war powers resolution, which we have been basically governed under since the uh, 30s. That's right. And, and this is, people better pay attention to this. People better pay attention to this because this is not necessarily just about ISIS, all right? Because when you start, um, you're given the authority to assign the military anywhere geographically across the world, yeah, what, you know, and what, especially domestically. When does the, uh, when has the, Congress get the power to vote on you know what they can do across the world. I thought they're yeah. well, we're limited to the yeah. continental United States or the United States as a country. You, well, how can you legislate this something? Is to no, say? This has got nothing to do with the Congress. What what, what what Congress is doing essentially is ceding authority, just like the TPA they, they did with the uh, uh, fast track authority. They're fast tracking this approval to to allow Obama to go anywhere. Anywhere to, to send the military anywhere. If that means downtown, uh, um, Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, it's okay. It, because Obama has that authority. Now, this is what Congress, Congress is ceding their authority. In, in, so, so we don't have a legislative branch anymore. We have an executive branch only. And when that happens, what are we, what are we left with? We're left with an executive branch. We're left with fascist tyranny. I mean, you could, I don't care how you dress it up, you know, whether you want to put lipstick on this peg or not, it doesn't matter, and I, I'm sorry for saying that, because that's an overused expression, but, but, but no, I mean, you know what, um, <laughs> you've got a Hitlerian, or a Mussolini type, 
uh, environment here. And I don't care if it's a Republican, Democrat, Independent, uh, Martian, uh, you know, blue-headed, uh, you know, reptilian. You know, I don't care what it, you know what it is in the White House. Or, we or, you know. understand that this is um, another encroachment on a series of encroachments by the government to take away constitutional freedoms. The only thing different from this one is the powers to declare uh, martial law anywhere internationally. Right. Well, and to, to deploy that, yes. Uh, and I think he, a Democrat from, right. from Connecticut, Senator Chris Murphy, said it is essentially a declaration of international martial law, a sweeping transfer of military power to the president that will allow him or her to send U.S. troops almost anywhere in the world for any reason with absolutely no limitations. Mm-hmm. That from a, a sitting senator. Mm-hmm. And the resolution he starts out by saying is a total rewrite of the War Powers Clause in the United States Constitution. Right. Well, there you have it. I, I mean, Another senator, Tim Kaine, said, I believe that the war is illegal. I don't think there's legal justification for it. And I think the greatest danger we end up doing is allowing the president to wage war without Congress weighing in. And we've talked about that uh, since our show's been on air. The power of right waging war, but, but see, I, I, I'm looking at, at this a little bit differently. All right, now this, and I, and I mentioned this in the YouTube video because all of a sudden people are coming out, and you might say, "Hey, you guys are late to the game for talking about this." This happened last Wednesday, and here it is Monday, and and you know there's uh, 20 YouTube, uh, you know, Alex Jones and others, and, and you know, I'm, I'm glad he did it, but. Um, other people out there talking about this, but I think people are missing the whole idea. I think I think people are, are not seeing the bigger picture. When you look at what is taking place with uh, the economy, the Baltic Dry Index, the fact that there's very few uh, commodities moving, and all commodities from oil to soybeans to to grain, I mean it's down. Everything is down. We are heading into um, basically a um, a type of an event that will rival 2008 and 1929 combined economically speaking. So I do believe this is what this is doing is allowing ahead of time Obama's selective use of the military in cities in the United States domestically because don't forget Lindsey Graham, who's also a co-sponsor of this bill, had declared all of the homeland a battlefield. battlefield. Right. But I, I believe the impetus behind this is going to be or is not ISIS. But the impetus will be civil unrest stemming from the economic factors, as um, as talked about and as as predicted in the Economist 2016 uh, uh, um, edition of the Economist. Now, again, more on this later. I'm going to have uh, I'm going to be. I, I just found some additional things in here that I think are relevant to today. But bottom line, folks, is uh, we, we prepare because we are. It's, it's, so so the the video that was done. Just wanted to be clear about this. The video that was done was not done saying, "Hey, look, you know, they're going to declare martial law. Obama's going to declare martial law." That's not that's not what I'm talking about. I think the important fact here is we have to look at the bigger picture and see what chess pieces are being moved. I believe that this is going to be important for um, um, stuff overseas, including Syria. Okay, I, I think that at the root of this overseas is Syria. But the domestic component here is equally important. However, I don't believe Obama is going to give uh, America over to the military only because that would take away his police powers. Um, and so when you say martial law, I don't believe that will be 
uh, effective martial law here in the United States. I believe it will be under DHS, which will be a police action as opposed to a martial law. That's just my view. video is on, uh, if you go to HomelandSecurityUS.com, that's HomelandSecurityUS.com. You can see my two cents, and for what it's worth, it might not even be worth two cents, but there it is, and that's uh, HomelandSecurityUS.com. Another so, way of looking at this also, um, from hearing different news reports and, and listening to a few people, I haven't heard anybody really come right out and say this, but um, just like presidents before, uh, we saw George Bush, uh, as we stated, implement the Patriot Act, and we saw President Obama implement the NDAA, taking away civilians. We got to break you of that habit. What, President Obama? These have taken away the civilian um, rights uh, of any citizen of the United States and their constitutional rights, uh, separating them from. Uh, calling them, you know, belligerent citizens or, or under national security can disappear you without a lawyer trial or charges being brought against you. This is another, as I said, encroachment of the war powers resolution that could be left for the next president, whoever it be, whether it be Donald Trump or Hillary Clinton. Um, but under this theory, I'd speculate it would be a Republican president. They would implement all these laws and, and get everything ready and then have an enemy in the office who they consider an enemy as an establishment when they bring the whole thing down to blame it on. Mm. And that's a very real possibility. Uh, indeed. Indeed it is. You know, um, it, this all goes back to uh, what I believe. I, I mean, when I'm looking at things and... and um, and folks, you, you know, you're looking at things. I, I think it's very interesting too how, um, well, there's an article on the Intel Hub. I'm not sure this is, this is a last week. Yeah, Obama exposes White House Salter, foreign CIA operative puppet with falsified credentials. You think? Anyway. CIA assaults White House and stalls every president since Kennedy. In other words, what, what this, Report on Intel Hub is saying, and I do believe this to be the case, and that's intelhub.com, written by Shepard uh, Embellis. Shepard Embellis is the author. Intelhub.com is the website, and January 18th is the date. But but Shepard writes this, a new bombshell report written by Jerome Corsi suggests that, the, that Barack H. Obama's passport records were likely sanitized by the acting director of CIA, John Brennan. Now, remember this, okay, because I think that this all leads up. I think I think what, if you look at this, Joe, what we're seeing is this one big crime scene. And, and ladies and gentlemen, this is a crime scene. Uh, go back to 2008 when Obama was on the campaign trail and he had John Brennan's companies and related uh, both his company as well as the, another company that were um, acting as security uh, uh, consultant companies. Brennan was the head of one. There was a break-in in the passport office records, passport records office affected were Hillary Clinton and, and Obama's passport records. Obama, Barry Satoro's out there on the campaign trail, didn't learn of it, I believe, until it was March or April. And um, that's only, and only because of that was were his exploits to Pakistan, the trips to Pakistan revealed. Remember that? We may have never known about that Pakistan trip when we did, had that passport break and not been, had that reporter not said, hey, Obama, or Barry, or, you know, Mr. Chum, um, did you know this happened? And and then, of course, he had to respond uh, 
that no you know and then of course he admitted that he traveled to pakistan otherwise we'd have never never known of that but anyway the bottom line here show is this the um um barry satoro i believe as this author believes is a is a foreign entity and um I believe that, and I do believe this, I believe that the criminal cabal within the CIA, now that's not to say the CIA itself, I believe the criminal cabal within the CIA, because I do believe that there are people, men, women out there, and I've met some within the CIA who are honorable people, and are God-fearing, God-loving people. Don't paint with such a broad brush. There are people in the CIA who believe that they are helping the United States and helping to advance a godlike agenda. I mean, not that religion has, or their spiritual faith has anything to do with it, but what I'm saying is they believe they're, they're conducting honorable business. And I'm not talking about the, the mercenaries. I'm not talking about the the people that go over and you know, overthrow countries and dictators and stuff like that or, or fly in uh, drugs. No, no, I'm talking about the people who are working to protect the country outside of the country as dictated by, by law. But anyway, um, so... This, to me, intelhub.com, the article by Shepard Embellis is worth the read, dated um, January 18th of 2016. So, anyway, so it's criminal cabal, really, and Obama and every other president, uh, not that Obama was truly elected, but every other man in the Oval Office uh, subsequent to Kennedy was selected first, and even he was selected, but that's another story. We have... um a few updates on continuing stories we've been talking about. One, the uh, Hillary Clinton FBI scandal. Two, the Planned Parenthood Center for Medical Progress videos today as a Harris County uh, grand jury investigation uh, investigating allegations that Planned Parenthood Clinic in Houston illegally sold tissues of aborted fetuses had cleared the organization of wrongdoing and instead <laughs> indicted two anti-abortion activists behind the undercover videos that sparked the probe. Secret videographers David Dillian uh, and Sandra Merritt were both indicted on charges of tampering with a government record on a second-degree felony, carrying a punishment of 20 years in prison. David received an additional misdemeanor indictment under the law prohibiting the purchase and sale of human organs. Harris County District Attorney Mr. Devon Anderson announced the surprising indictments Monday after a two-month investigation. We were called upon to investigate allegations of criminal conduct by Planned Parenthood Gulf Coast, said Anderson. As a Republican, I am, I stated at the outset of this investigation, we must go where the evidence leads us. All the evidence uncovered in the course of this investigation was presented to a grand jury, and I respect their decision on this difficult case. They say in uh, this article from the local paper that the probe began after the Center for Medical Progress and Anti-Abortion Group uh, run by David, released the footage of a Houston clinic as part of the series of videos showing Planned Parenthood officials casually discussing the methods and costs of preserving fetal tissue for scientific research that prompted the allegations that the organization was profiting off tissue, which is a crime. An allegation that was never proven, they say here in the article, uh, and sparked well, calls for an investigation hold on, from, hold on, because from Governor Abbott and yeah. Attorney General Ken Paxton. Well, uh, how about this, ladies and gentlemen? How about this? The Planned Parenthood board member works in the office of the district attorney investigating the sale of aborted fetuses, aborted babies. So, so here, here, here's the deal. Do you, is there a name in that one? Yeah, and hold on. Okay, okay. Now, now think of this, okay? Because as a, as an investigator myself for thirty years, do you think that I could get away with something like this? You got to be kidding me. 
LifeNews.com. That's LifeNews.com. According to, to a report there, one of the prosecutors in the Houston District Attorney's Office is a board member of the very same Planned Parenthood, which was targeted by the Center for Medical Progress. I shouldn't say targeted, which exposed that Planned Parenthood. The Center for Medical Progress exposed the illegal activities in that at that location. Now, there were, if you dig deep enough, and you've got to research this, because this is not just a simple thing. You've got to you've got to dig down, and you will find evidence. In fact, earlier today, I had uh, dragged some some uh, uh, postings from some. Dare I say this? Well, I already got them, so it doesn't really matter. When you okay, when you have a you know the comment section on on websites. When you start looking down and start drilling down into the comment sections on websites, you might find some gold there. Well, you can even find. Um, Mention that the that the DA herself, Devon Anderson, um, had made it, it appeared. Now I'm not saying this. I can't authenticate the postings, but it seems like either she or people acting on her behalf attempted to um, uh, attempted to sway the argument in a public forum. Okay, I guess what I'm saying to you is. This is not as cut and dry as you might oh, think it all. is. And, and you know what? Uh, and this is one more thing. Uh, boy, am I, like, I'm just really fired up. I gotta tell you something, okay? One of them, I, I really admire Coach Dave Dobmeyer, ptsalt.com, because he's out there in the trenches every day. Every day at an abortion clinic. Do you realize that he changed the mind of, uh, well over, uh, four dozen women, he and his team, from getting abortions, he saved fifty, sixty, fifty some lives. I, I've got the, I've got the stats in there. He'll never. I mean, I, he might tell you that, but he'll never boast about it. But see, he's out there changing the hearts and minds of people. Now, that, uh, Coach Dave Dobmeyer is America's coach, just as Pastor Langford is our coach here, or our um, uh, pastor. We consider him our pastor. I would consider Coach Dave Dobmeyer our coach and America's coach, only because he's out there kicking butt. But taking names and and doing it in the, in, in the name of God with godlike um, godlike you know principles. So, I, I just want to say this is this to me is really where the battle rages. And Coach Dobmeyer has assembled a great team, and we need to help him out. PTSalt.com, Salt and Light Brigade. Just go to PTSalt.com. Send him an email and uh, make sure you give him some words of encouragement. Support him. Do everything you can. But he's a, he's like a hundred percent man. This guy is this guy's out there and. Uh, um, doing more than I would ever could ever think of doing, and I mean between Joe and I, I'm serious, man. He's out there. No, so, he does yeah. a whole heck of a lot. I, I, I want to make sure I, I threw that in there because he's really making a difference. But now back to the Center for Medical Progress. Go ahead, Joe, and 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 take it, man. Just go ahead and take it. All right, again, um, two people, Sandra Merritt and David Deledian, uh both were indicted uh, for criminal probes against uh, Planned Parenthood after a Harris County uh, grand jury said that Planned Parenthood basically uh, was found not guilty of of, uh, selling tissue of aborted fetuses. They were cleared of any wrongdoing. And instead, these two, uh, David Delindian and Sarah Merritt, both for the Center of Medical Progress, were indicted on criminal charges of tampering with governmental record, a second-degree felony that punishes up to 20 years in prison. The the, Texas Health and Human Service Commissions are still investigating the video. The governor said nothing about today's announcement in Harris County impacts the state's ongoing investigation. Texas will continue to protect life and will continue to support legislation prohibiting the sale or transfer of fetal tissue. That from um, 
Governor Abbott's office. And the spokesman for the Houston branch of Planned Parenthood said the news made the organization feel vindicated. They say it's great news because it demonstrates that they have from the very beginning, which is that Planned Parenthood is following every rule and regulation. We're glad that these extremists have been indicted for breaking the law, they say. The National Organization of Planned Parenthood said in a letter to Congress that David was involved secretly in recording staff and patients at at least 65 times over the last eight years. The organization alleged that Mr. David Delidian and others used aliases, obtained fake government IDs, and formed fake tissue procurement company in effort to gain access to private areas and record okay. conversations and, that, and deceptively yeah. edited to create false impressions. All right, so very simply, tampering with government records is a felony. That's what they were charged with, and, of course, it stems from exactly what, Joe, what you just referenced. Uh, really, okay. Now, I mean, this is just the... Uh, I See, guess what can you expect from uh, such an upside-down country? It's and, lawless. But, but see, the, the police, okay, law enforcement, uh, in cases like this, and we've run into cases like this, it's called permissible pretext. All right. If if you, uh, I'm not going to, I, I, you know, well, I'm not going to get into the entire uh, permissible pretext doctrine of permissible pretext, but the bottom line is this. Um, if you, let's say, let's say, uh, you know, a guy who owns a pizza shop and, uh, I'm just trying to think of a good way to, well, you know what? I, I don't even have to explain it. The, the fact of the matter is Planned Parenthood is engaged in the trafficking. And I, yeah. I, I, based on everything the Center for Medical Progress said, in my opinion, my professional research, they're engaged in, in, uh, uh, trafficking in the in oh, they the are, body and that's been proven. Right, and it's like um, you know, Planned Parenthood got caught with their hand in the cookie jar, and the people who caught them are being indicted instead of them. Right, um, it's very backwards and upside down, and um, very unnerving too. And you, you see that they can do this with people who were just trying to find the truth of the matter, especially when dealing with you know staggering numbers of over three thousand aborted babies a day. Four thousand. Four thousand. Yeah. Um, yeah, this it, is no small matter, no um, nothing to take lightly. And the policy of Planned Parenthood has changed since the videos have been released, which some, when they changed them, said that was a, a basically an admittance of guilt. Um, and it's not an accusation. Even though they were cleared by the Harris County Ground Jury, it doesn't matter. Um, they've been caught in the act. So uh, this is just, again, the... They're trying to rewrite history. They're trying to tell us that abortion is good and it's it's a woman's health right, and that we have to accept it. And if you fight against it, well, you could go to jail. And that just needs to be made clear because that's the truth, and that's what's going to happen and continue to happen. I got to tell you, you know, it's it's it it tells me the state of the legal system in this country. Loretta Lynch mob, God bless you, Steve Quayle. Loretta Lynch mob. I mean, <laughs> you know, I couldn't think of a better. Uh, a better uh, uh, name for her, but to me, this is a sad day. When you have, and and don't folks do not, and um, now this is geared toward the uh, uh, the Marxist, uh, eugen- you know, people in love with eugenics. You, you know, don't tell me, for example, that uh, that they were set up or that they were the tapes were edited, like you had often said and always say. It's not, you're, it's edited for brevity and relevance, but the full tape is intact and available for scrutiny. Mm-hmm. There's nothing edited for uh, uh, 
you know, that would change the... Right, nothing was added right. deceitfully to make it look like somebody was saying something out of context or... Uh, exactly. It and, was all done... And we, we've done this, you and I, Joe, for, for well, you, uh, have to. you know, you take judges. eight hours of film. Yeah. Um, you go to a court, nobody's going to sit through the eight hours of constant film. We could so barely you, do it. you chop it down to the parts where there is action or irrelevant um, information. Exactly. And you submit both. Uh, r- right. So, so, I mean, they followed actual investigative standard operating procedure, uh, procedures in the way that they release the videos, releasing the cut and uncut versions of both. You, you know, it, it is very much like, the way I look at this, it is so backward. This would be like, you know, filing um, intimidation charges against the voters in the Philadelphia precinct who were attempting to vote and, and who were intimidated by the uh, Black Panthers, new Black mm-hmm. Panthers. Okay. That, to me, is what this is very much like. It's backwards. And yet people are swallowing this, and, and they're rejoicing in this, when, in fact, this is one of the most um, hideous crimes. And I, I've got I've got more to say on this. Because uh, I got I got more to say on this, and then I'm sure Russ Dizdar has some things to say on this. But folks, I've got a lot to say on this later, um, and separately. I just I'll, I'm going to leave it at that. But but you know it's it's I would really I would really ask everyone to pray for the people um, who are being targeted by this lawless investigation, by this lawless uh, um, justice department, by this lawless governor, by this spiritually yeah. bankrupt. Uh, political machine. And interesting, you know, you say lawless, uh, we see it across the board with the um, abortion, the uh, eugenics movement, we see it here with the uh, global man-made global warming movement. Can breaking the law be a legal defense? Two environmental trial or two trials, environmental activists are using climate necessity as part of their defense. They could only defend the planet by breaking the law. Now this is interesting because this has legal ramifications. Yes. Um, this article from the Daily Beast says, when our grandchildren write history of our climate movement, they'll save a few pages for the trials of 2016. First, they'll focus on this uh, Washington County, where last Friday a Seattle area, area jurors found so-called Delta 5 not guilty of obstruction, uh, obstruction for blocking a regional oil facility in 2014. The protest and the acquittal were notable as part of a growing wave of anti-oil, gas, and coal citizen action that has swept the country in the past few years. The courtroom was treated to a master class on why principal law-breaking is just the tonic needed to cure our government's woeful inaction on warming. But what law students of the future will learn about Delta V trial is something a bit more uh, arcane, if not no less monumentous. For the first time in the United States, a jury heard testimony that defendants' criminal actions were justified by climate necessity. The argument that it's better to break the law while getting in a few punches at the fossil fuel system than it is to sit back and lawfully watch the world burn. A defense that has been tried a handful of times in the U.S. but has never made it past a judge's bench slap. Now in New York, there's the Montrose Nine are facing trial for disorderly conduct after having shut down a construction site along a gas pipeline in Westchester County in 2015. Um, the Daily Beast goes on to say that they're using the same type of defense, and this is the first time in less than two weeks that this air to air the climate necessity defense in open court so you have to understand this is setting a precedent this is much more than legal la-di-da they say in the article by slipping into otherwise mundane criminal proceedings a heavy dose of serious discussion regarding our environmental 
caretakers and reams of uh, scientific analysis of the crude oil, leaving one of many causes for consideration for climate activists who understand it's time to abandon carbon initiatives and, you know, start. Uh, it's done, time for business as usual, usual to be over, and you can't sit back and let these things happen is what they say. They're saying breaking the law is better than sitting back and doing nothing, and they're getting away with it being found by juries innocent. The first it's Delta amazing. 5 case now. This next case is in New York. We'll see. Well, the, uh, hold, hold on. With 15 minutes left to the top of the hour, I just want to mention, folks, if you haven't gone, done so already, go to AmericanSurvivalWholesale.com. That's AmericanSurvivalWholesale.com. Our partners in this radio endeavor, i got to tell you, they're having a fantastic sale. Again, AmericanSurvivalWholesale.com, fantastic sale, scratch and dent. While it lasts, you know, they are a Christian-owned, veteran-owned company, and, boy, do they have some of the finest long-term storable foods they've got a veterans outreach program they uh true christians in every sense of the word they've they've done and and they'll never tell you but they've done so much for so many they've helped so many people through their veterans outreach program uh so many through their biblical uh, bible drive so much for they've just done a lot and this is a, a class a company American Survival Wholesale.com. That's American Survival Wholesale.com. It is where Hagman and Hagman gets their long-term storable food. I just wanted to, again, a quarter to the hour, wanted to mention that. Joe, go ahead and continue, sir. Well, in the, the, uh, this article, um, with this, they say that the, again, this is the first time that, um, there has been able, that's even entered into a, a trial court uh, where they've been able to use the breaking the law as a defense against a crime that they've committed, but it's now being done by the second time in less than two weeks uh, as a climate necessity defense, they say. And they say by doing this, they're changing. It's a, they say it's a powerful sign that the casual destruction of the climate will no longer be met with compliance and silence, and that, uh, as I said, uh, it's giving activists, uh, telling them it's better to break the law to stop this than it is to sit back and let it happen, that being man-made global warming. But the ability to bring in these defense, this defense in two separate parts of the country completely on the opposite sides, one in Seattle, one in New York State, near New York City and Westchester County, where they say in this article that it's a defense that has been tried a handful of times but in the U.S. has never made it past a judge's bench slap. Now we have two cases in two weeks. One's already closed and they've been found innocent or acquitted and the other one uh, will be starting on February 3rd. This is a organized action, a, a judicial action, in my opinion, to see this happening twice in, in a matter of weeks for the first time in U.S. history, to try to set precedent, to change the way uh, they're going to allow people to get away with things that they didn't before, and that's not people like you and me. <laughs> you know, or, or those listening, you know, we're... Time is short. War is coming. Time is short. War is coming. Civil unrest is coming. And uh, if nothing else, for relevance, the DHS Insider postings from uh, HomelandSecurityUS.com, HomelandSecurityUS.com, which is which is resurrected now as my site, uh, predicted the uh, predicted this. The insider that I was speaking to predicted this time. And I and I, you know what, Joe? I think I'm going to have to try to get get a hold of him. <laughs> uh, I'm not sure if I can, um, but well, it wouldn't hurt to try. Um, yeah. Mentioning uh, Hillary Clinton, there's been an update in the uh, email investigation. The FBI is ready to indict Hillary Clinton 
And if its recommendation isn't followed by the U.S. Attorney General, the agency investigators plan to blow the whistle and go public with their findings. Former House Majority Leader Tom DeLay tells Newsmax TV, I have friends that are in the FBI and they tell me that they are ready to indict, DeLay said Monday, to the Steve Malzberg show. They're ready to recommend an indictment and they also say that if the Attorney General will not indict, they are going public. Clinton is under FBI investigation for her use of private server to conduct confidential government business while Secretary of State. And it goes on from there to talk about the case and delay uh, a went on a radio show, a Texas Republican uh, delay. The Washington Times radio host said one way or another, either she's going to be indicted and that process will begin or we try harder in the public eye with her campaign. One way or another, she's going to have to face these charges uh, and end of quote. So I don't know. Well, uh, J- Joe, do you believe that Hillary Clinton, Huma Abedin, and uh, Sid Blumenthal, perhaps, and others will be indicted for uh, their actions with respect to the classified information, the mishandling of classified information? Petraeus, look, Petraeus is going to go down a rank. Go down. I mean, it's going to cost him some some bucks uh, for what he did. His careless handling of, of the uh, yeah. classified information. So my question is: is is the Clinton criminal cabal going to be held to the same standard? Well, interestingly think? enough, um, there's a few theories on this. One uh, from Drudge himself of the Drudge mm-hmm. Report, mm-hmm. where there's another article talking about Hillary Clinton's health, and it's interesting that twice now I've seen uh, where you see uh, movement in the FBI investigation and. Twice now, there are headlines all throughout the mainstream media about Hillary Clinton's health. So the question is asked, will she be healthy enough to stand trial if can, if indicted? Well, okay, is, you is, know, is that being floated out there to I mean, that, I believe it is, yes. I believe it is. I don't think she'll be indicted, and if she is, it'll be a, uh, it'll be a smoke and mirrors thing, and she'll walk off into the sunset without any, uh, PR, uh, and who they'll bring in as a, a Democratic front-runner in the uh, presidential election, I don't know. Or she'll get the nomination, and this will be something that is swept under the rug. We, you know, um, the, the email... I mean, who knows at this point? <laughs> if, you, if you watch, it, going back to now midsummer, I'm going to say June-ish. June-ish? Is that, a, is that a word? Okay, if you go back to last summer, midsummer. Um, when the revelations about the server being in in another state, you know, of course, in the closet, and then uh, under the under the care of another company, and then Brian, uh, uh, I think it was Pagliano, and him being rewarded with a position in the State Department, you start looking at these at the development of this case against her. It seems like she's it. it it's almost trying to like herd a bunch of cats. If you've ever tried to get a bunch of cats. It's just a really strange case, or, or you know, you're, you're imagine a, a, a water balloon slick with WD-40 trying to, you know, hold on to that. It seems like she's able to escape. Now, to me, that would involve. Now, I could be wrong, Joe, but I, I think that does involve some level of complicity at the level of, well, within the Justice Department and certainly at the executive branch, if not the legislative branch. Don't forget back in Watergate, of course, Clinton, Hillary Clinton, Hillary Diane Rodham was involved in, uh, Hillary Diane Rodham Clinton was involved in the investigation of the Watergate 
tapes and uh, of course summarily fired because she was wanted well she was advocating doing some things that were not that were neither eth- ethical nor were they um within the rules of the investigative conduct but uh yet right now and, and also we must not forget the rose the law firm records remember those found 3 years later in the closet in the uh residence of the white house when d- during the clinton uh um, Bill Clinton presidency. So, all of this combined with all of this baggage, and, and again, you look at this Economist magazine, and she's the only one on the front cover of all the presidential candidates. What do you make of that? Is that just is that just is that meaningless? You know, I, maybe it is meaningless. Maybe this, maybe there's nothing here to this. But <laughs> we're going to find out. You know, uh, and okay. So what would happen? And I was talking to my wife about this. And let me ask you this, Joe and Eric. You can chime in, and ladies and gentlemen, you can. You know, certainly. Let's just say this. Let's say there's no clear-cut candidate for the D- Democratic nominee. And again, we're, we're talking at the lower level here, at the theater level. At the theatrical level, you know, with politics right and left, this is all, you know, a false paradigm anyway. But just for the sake of entertainment, as we would watch a football game, let's say that there's no clear-cut candidate for the Democratic nom- nomination. Okay. Then what? What happens? Well, I don't know that that's the case. We see Bernie Sanders has, a, uh, from the latest polling numbers, a 22-point lead in the um, New Hampshire primary and is, is almost even in Iowa. And then... The what? What's Biden's status in this? Is he still running? Is he still no, I, I, I think I think Biden is, has adopted a wait and see approach, and and you know there's, and I can't put my finger on this, but you've got Debbie Wasserman Schultz as the the DNC chair, which she she to me in my view, she does not have the intellectual capacity to to run the chess match that we that we see playing out before us. So who's actually running the DNC side of it? We know on the on the right hand side or the um the, the uh, so called conservative or republic I don't even say conservative because that, that doesn't exist. But the Republican side, you've got the influence of Karl Rove and, and, and other uh you know, even the uh the uh, Koch brothers, for example, I, because money does buy influence. But there's somebody above Sanders and Clinton and, and I mean, there's somebody far above this on the Democratic side that's really moving the, the chess pieces around. But um, I don't believe Sanders has got a, got, a, got a chance because in the South he's not going to have any traction whatsoever. Anything below the uh, Mason-Dixon line, Sanders is going to fall flat. He, he might be. He might look good in, in in Keene, New Hampshire, where everyone's a he's a self everyone drives a socialist. Subaru. Right, right, right. And and, and Glenn Beck's remarks Damn. to Cruz about you know. Did you uh, hear him say he would vote for yeah, Sanders over yeah. Trump? Th- that's exactly what I'm referring to. I-, I understand where he's coming from because it's like when, when you when you sit down and if you've ever been, folks, you've ever been to a prison and interviewed, uh, you know, convicts. You know, the, the for example, when you're in, if you go into Attica, um, in a room, you know the guy across from you. You know what he is. I mean, he's got a number. Across his chest, okay. You know he's, you know, you know he's a murderer. You know he's or, uh, you know, a criminal. You know what you're getting there. So I understand what Glenn Beck meant. I think it's just an unfortunate way of framing it, but I, I understand what he meant. But 
that's kind of digressing from it. So, so what happens if there's no clear-cut delegate, you know, come June, July? What are we going to, I mean, what would you think would happen? Oh, they're going to find somebody. Or, or, or maybe Obama might change his mind and run for a third term. What do you think? I've seen that. I've seen, um, the possibility of, of Biden throwing his hat in the ring or Obama becoming <clears throat> vice president on a ticket or, uh, having Biden or uh, a friend become the Democratic front runner in order to establish him in the UN as the Security uh, Council General as Ban Ki-moon's term runs out. I, I, you know, it's Larry Nichols is that. talking about that, right? It's either onto that or um, he'll... I don't know. Uh, well, Larry Nichols is talking about uh, Biden being the uh, president because Hillary's damaged goods and uh, UN uh, uh, Obama going to the UN as you know head of the UN, of course. And I do believe that that's very possible given the fact that if you, if you look back in history, you know the Nobel laureate, the you know for the Nobel Peace Prize, and in his experience and his, his grandiose plan, standing in front of the, you know, where he gave a speech in Berlin. Look at look at look at his his conduct. So I could see him going to the UN, and we would have to contend with him at, at that level. So would it, would it really matter who would be the Democratic? Uh, you know, would it be if Biden? Sure. I mean, I, I, I could see him working together to bring about the global chaos or orchestrated chaos and destruction. Will it be a name that we haven't seen yet? Uh, maybe, um, you have the possibility now. You or know, will it be Hillary though? It, it's very possible. Um, you know, I guess a lot of it's going to depend on, can't she dig herself out of this, this hole that she's in? Uh, even getting to the, the nomination from the Democratic side, I guess will be the challenge. Uh, she's up against now. Uh, it looked like she had a clear, smooth run all the way to the nomination. And if you, is what you say is correct, if she stays in the race, if she endures this uh, email um, investigation, she'll outlast Sanders uh, if there is a Democratic primary and she is a part of it and Sanders is on the other side. So it's very possible she could her way by default into that nomination. But anybody hmm. uh, who's a, a strong Democrat can do the same and why they are sticking with her oh, man i don't know some say it's because she knows where the bodies are buried J- jk i just want to say thank you 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 hit the nail right on the head um and and louise thank you you might prefer to call obama the abomination <laughs> you know yeah i i we we call him the renegade because that's a secret service code name renegade of course and you know by definition, is a lawless one, and I think that that has biblical overtones, and I think it's perhaps more appropriate. So, renegade in chief is probably is my my choice. Folks, listening to the Hagman and Hagman Report after this break, we will be back with Bill Warner of PoliticalIslam.com, and after he's done in hour number two, Katie from Essential Oils will be with us. Stay with us on this Monday, January twenty fifth, twenty sixteen. We'll be right back. This is the Global Star Radio Network. Welcome back.
Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to hour number two of this Monday edition of the Hagman and Hagman Report. Today is Monday, January 25th, 2016. This hour, we are joined by Mr. Bill Warner, Dr. Bill Warner, uh, who is an author, businessman, a professor. Uh, he is the director of Center for Study of Political Islam. Uh, his website is politicalislam.com. We're going to get with him in just a second. Yeah. F- folks, I want to just draw your attention to, uh, to, to, just a terrific, I mean, an absolutely terrific website, nuts.com. Have you gone there, folks? Have you gone to nuts.com? Oh, oh you could spend all day there. You know what? Nuts.com is, is one of my favorite websites for sure. Um, they've got, they've got so many choices. New listeners to the Hagman and Hagman report. I mean, it, by the way, if you can't, if you, if you haven't figured out what nuts.com, what, what, what they sell there, well, yeah, I know you're smarter than that. They have, in our opinion, the best tasting nuts, snacks, um, uh, everything on the planet. It's a very simple and convenient way to have nutritious, delicious, healthy nuts and so many other tasty treats from around the world delivered right to your door. We, it's so simple to order from them and it's so fun to receive their package. Right now, if you're a new customer, if you haven't pulled the trigger on this yet, you can get four free samples. You can choose from over 50 options. That's a $15 value when you go to nuts.com. Click on the click on the microphone box and enter our code HH. That'll take you to well, you'll see. Hey, Hagman listener, how you doing? We're you know we see a bunch of nuts talking to you. Yeah, but folks, since 1929, this is a family-owned business. They prided themselves on delivering the best-tasting nuts and dried fruit you'll find anywhere. They use only the freshest products from the best suppliers in the world. It's an easy-to-use site. I mean, so easy. If let me tell you something, okay? If if my sister-in-law can use it, oh, you can use it. You can buy the, by the case or by the pound. It's certified organic, certified gluten-free, with or without salt, raw, sugar-free. I mean, you name it, they've got it. 100% satisfaction guaranteed. And nuts.com is more than just nuts. As I told you, you can choose from over 3,000. Over 3,000, count them, count them. 3,000 healthy snacks, including dried dates, dried strawberries. Oh, man, are they ever good. The sweet treats from chocolate-covered nuts, every flavor of gummy bear. How about some monkey munch? You want some monkey munch? How's that for an opening line, huh? <laughs> okay. And you know what? They've got over 39 different kinds of coffee, tea, and over 170 flavors. Folks, right now, new customers, get four free samples to choose from over 50. That's a $15 value. That's right. You now you gotta, you gotta buy something. They're just not gonna just, I mean, come on. But it's easy to do because they, they've got anything you'd ever want there at nuts.com. So go to nuts.com, enter our code HH. That's nuts.com, enter our code HH for four free samples with your order. Hey, go, go nuts at nuts.com, microphone code HH. Absolutely. I love nuts.com, especially their cashews, my yeah. favorite. All right. With us this hour, we have, uh, Mr. Bill Warner. And again, his website is www.politicalislam.com. It's also the name of his YouTube channel. And you can see, as soon as you go to Political Islam, you can see his, his great looking guy there on, on the video. He's, um, Dr. Bill Warner, tactics for counter jihad, right there. I mean, hey, great looking guy. Dr. Warner, great to have you, sir. Good to be here. And by yeah. the way, can I get a free sample of Monkey Munch when we're through? <laughs> yeah, I'll make sure you. Uh, I'll, <laughs> I'll make sure you get Monkey Munch right away, buddy. Oh man, uh, Doctor Warner, let's let's hit the ground running. What in the world is political Islam? Okay, we hear of Islam, and, and but what's political Islam? Well, 
if you read the Islamic documents, and there's three of them, Quran, which everybody's heard of and no one's read, the Sirah, the life of Muhammad, and the traditions, or the Hadith, you notice something peculiar if you're used to reading world religion. And that is most of the documents that are the foundation of Islam are mostly about non-Muslims, kafirs, infidels. So, you see, you're in the Islamic doctrine whether you knew it or not. You thought that just Muslims were inside of Islam, but no, no, no. Islam has a place for every human being on the face of the earth, either as a believer or as a subjugated kafir. K-A-F-I-R. So anyway, kafir is, uh, since I am a kafir and I'm not part of, I'm part of Islam, but I'm not part of the religion, I call that political Islam, the part of Islam that deals with the non-Muslim. Interesting. Okay. So, so anyone, so a non-Muslim, you are subjected to essentially the political side of Islam. Now, isn't Islam, I mean, I always describe it as, and, and forgive me if this is not corrected in, in your view, but I describe it as a cult presented as a religion. But it's a cult, but it's also a, a, a political system as opposed to a religion. It's, or, or even a political system disguised as a religion. And that's kind of what you're saying, though, isn't it? Well, what we discover is is that Islam is far more than a religion. If Islam were a religion, I'd be out in my wood shop right now, and I wouldn't have written any books and wouldn't be talking to you. But it's the political system of Islam that's tragic. And that's the part of Islam that we, you and I have to deal with. We don't get to deal with the five prayers a day. We get to view instead, to deal with what Islam says and does to us. And we're getting a heavy nice. dose of that now in Europe. Yeah, exactly. And this is what makes Islam confusing to the average person the average person sitting in their in their uh, barco lounge or watching the six o'clock news or whatever i i, I do i do want I, I do believe don't you agree i mean it's it's confusing because it it's people well, are what's confusing about Islam there are two principles of Islam submission which means Islam is always right and you and I are always wrong and the other is is that it's a dualistic ethical system and a dualistic thought system there are two answers to every question and they contradict each other for instance is Islam the religion of peace yes it is because the early Quran written in Mecca does not have any jihad is Islam about war and jihad yes it is because the second half of the Quran written in Medina 24 percent of it is about jihad 12 percent of the Quran written in Medina is about Jew hatred now does, does Islam love the Jew yes it does does Muhammad hate the Jew yes it does but wait Bill those contradict each other Yes, but they're both true simultaneously. Interesting. That's the hard part to wrap your head around. <laughs> yeah. This obviously adds to the, the confusion. And uh, the narratives that we see on TV, you know, the, you mentioned a, a phrase that I hear off, often on mainstream media, which is Islam, and even from our government, is a religion of peace. Uh, yes. When, when we see well, this video, we see the, the refugees. It's only half true. Yeah, because uh, you see these refugees coming in saying we're going to take over. You see the, the violence mm -hmm. and the uh, done under the name of the religion. Um, why do people get so um, uptight when talking about Islam, whether yeah, it be yeah. public or private? Uh, and, and, well, and you. you know, that's an interesting question. If I want to go off on Christianity or even Judaism and just trash it, nobody gets back to me, all right? But if I want to do that to Islam, you do things like, you and I were discussing this before we came on the air. Because of what I write about Islam, uh, which, by the way, is purely factual, 
I never use any derogatory, insulting words about Islam or Muhammad. Uh, if you do, if you quote Allah and you quote Muhammad, and you quote the parts that they don't like, then you're a hater and a bigot. The Southern Poverty Law Center has declared that I'm one of America's top ten bigots. Why? Have I said anything that's wrong or false? No, they never do that. They just say, we don't like the sound of what you say, and it offends Muslims, and so therefore, if it offends Muslims, you're an evil, bad person. And this is exactly correct, and I want people to really understand this, because... Uh, Joe, I mean, we were talking about this in preparation for tonight's program. Uh, uh, Dr. Warner, you present nothing but factual information, and you do so. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, you don't even. I mean, you, you don't even raise your voice. You, I mean, nope. it, it's you know, it's really simple. It's almost as if you're testifying in a court of law. Okay, now you said two things: Islam is a religion, a religion of peace, and then Islam is not a religion of peace. I mean, and, and they're two contradictory statements. And, and people are again, you know, you had mentioned people are having a tough time understanding that, but both statements are true. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you know. Now, now the other half of that. I mean, how, because I'm sure people are going to email us and say, "Wait a minute, how can how can Bill Warner possibly state that?" Well, he just explained that because you know uh, half well, the Quran is. But but go ahead and you know take that further if you will. Basically, it, it's very interesting here. Islam is a political system, but it's the only political system in the world in which they say if you're not a member of it, you cannot possibly understand it. Really. You mean you have a political system that involves me and I can't understand that? Really, show me the verse I cannot understand. Show me the hadith or tradition I cannot understand. I want to see these things. So, but since I tell the complete truth, for instance, Muhammad preached the religion of Islam for 13 years in Mecca and persuaded 150 Arabs to become Muslim. He left, went to Medina, whereupon he went become a jihadist and a politician, and this is clearly written in his biography, and by the way, since one of the three books is a biography, are you meaning to tell me that I can't understand a man's biography? Come on. So in the second half of his life during Medina, he averaged an event of violence on the average of once a month for the last nine years of his life. But when he died, every Arab in the peninsula was a Muslim. So the religion failed, or was a weak success, and the political system was an overwhelming success. So Islam is a religion of peace and the politics of jihad. Mm. Pick and choose is like having hot water and cold water. It's very handy. It it, it, it morphs based on whatever yes. the desired. Okay. Yes. Right. You have whatever you need. Islamic State is pure Islam. The nice, sweet pharmacist that fulfills your prescription who has a hijab on and who wouldn't raise her voice, she's also pure Islam. But wait a minute. Those two things can't be simultaneously true. That is dualism. That's the reason Islam is so hard to understand. But once you grasp it, it's like it's a it's an incredible system. You always have what you need. Interesting. You, you know, it fits the role that it, that is needed for the part. But, but you know what, Doctor Warner, I'm I'm going to make an assertive statement here, and and please tell tell me what you think of this. We have been brainwashed, or not brainwashed. We have been uh, just beaten with words. George W. Bush. Ah. President George, you know, saying Islam is a religion of peace, and everyone, you know, subsequent to nine eleven, Islam is a religion of peace. We're not at war with Islam. Well, what the heck? I mean, you know, how do you, huh? <laughs> uh, we, well, you've we, stated the heart of the problem. 
we're not at war with Islam, but Islam's at war with us. You know how that works out in the end? Yeah, you do. We want to tie, all finish at the same time, holding hands as we cross the finish line, and Islam wants to win. You know how that works out on the playing field? We want to be nice, and they want to be victors. Yeah, yeah, and if we don't, if you know, it's like bringing a knife to a gunfight. Yes, I haven't heard that in a while. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, um, only we bring roses to a gunfight. Yeah, yeah, it's it's really ridiculous to me. Now I'm going to throw a question out here. Uh, I got to ask you, okay? Given the totality of evidence, and and maybe this doesn't even matter. Maybe it doesn't matter to people, but I want to ask Doctor Bill Warner since we haven't spoken about this. Do we have a Muslim in the White House? I mean, what's your, I don't know, what's your assessment of Well, you've had the three most common questions I am asked is, Obama a Muslim, what's the difference between Sunni and Shia, and aren't you afraid? Let me deal with the, uh, here's the deal. Mah- uh, Muhammad. Obama is Islamicizing <laughs> America. He chops wood and carries water for Muhammad. He meets with the Muslim Brotherhood and executes their wishes whenever they ask. So what difference does it make whether he's a Muslim or not? Because you see, we have an Islamification of America going on. Look at Hillary Clinton. She's not Obama. She worships at the Church of Hillary. She's definitely not a Muslim. But her right arm, Huma Abedin, is a full-blown Muslim Brotherhood. So what difference does it make whether Hillary's a Muslim or not? She will do everything she can to bring the policies of the Muslim Brotherhood to America. So, And let's take George Bush. George Bush, who brought us War on Terror... Now, there's an interesting thing to discuss in any class. Exactly what is a war on terror? What we need is a war against jihad. Right. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, t- terror is a tactic, not a target, right? I mean. Exactly. Exactly. So we will never win the war on terror because that it also, neither Democrat nor Republican wants to name the enemy, even to even decide there's a war. So as long as we will not name the enemy, we're doomed to lose. And we are losing. How much? How many trillions of dollars have we poured into the Middle East? And are we any better off than when we started? Nope. We do not even examine the necessary doctrine of war, which is put forth by Islam. Uh, there's a wonderful book written by a uh, brigadier general in Pakistan that's required reading for all flag rank officers. It's called The Quranic Concept of War, a very revealing book. Do we read those books? We don't seem to. We seem to do anything to avoid knowing anything about Islam except, oh, wait a minute, I know this nice Muslim, and I'll ask him what Islam is, and then I will believe what he says. But you're a four-star general head of the chief, Joint Chiefs of Staff. You don't know any more than that? Well, I know this nice Muslim, and he told me that Islam is blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. We need to study the source material. We need to talk to Muhammad, and we need to talk, listen to Allah. And we can do that through their text. Mm. Well, yeah, I, I mean, it's it's right out there for everyone to see, I, I guess. You know, it, it, the, th- the thing the thing that gets gets me, and um, pe- people don't do their own research and, and own studies, and which makes people like you so valuable because. Um, you know we can we can look at this intellectually, and this is I think really first and foremost we have to look at the issue intellectually, especially given yes. the fact that we're at war. You know, so yes. you know uh, not knee jerk reaction, but intellectually. Um, 
Well, let me advance one step here, and then we can revisit some things. Right now, you got many, many facets, many people, many entities that are supporting Islam. Who are the some of the significant biggest supporters of, of Islam right now, whether domestically or worldwide? Well, I'm going to talk about what I know personally, which is Nashville, Tennessee. Nashville, Tennessee is one of the more religious towns you'll ever find, at least... Uh, there's a church on every fifth corner. Do you know what the Do you know what the biggest supporter of Islam is in Tennessee? The I guess the church. The church. The no one no. does. No one does more to support Islam than the church does. I'm going to give you. I'm going to give you three numbers. I tried to organize. A, I have a radio show up here on every Friday at eleven to twelve. It's the largest radio station in Tennessee. For two straight Fridays, I tried to organize with Christians a silent protest against the persecution of religions in Islamic lands. I got maybe 40 people. Two weeks later, the religious dialogue group, the family of Abraham, had a meeting, and 400 Christians showed up to sit there and be subjugated to Islam and smile with everything the imam says. Then, about a month later, there was a bill in the Tennessee legislature that we were lobbying, which had to do with limiting Sharia, 1,000 Muslims showed up from Memphis, Knoxville, Chattanooga, Nashville, Jackson, Tennessee. So, let's go over to the figures again. 40 people will protest the persecution of Christians. 400 religious leaders will come out to support Islam at a, at a religious dialogue event. And 1,000 Muslims will show up on a Wednesday to lobby down at the legislature. Those are the numbers. What's the psyche? Tennessee, the biggest supporter of Islam, has a pulpit on Saturday, I mean, on Sunday. And by the way, the rabbis are no better. If anything, they're worse. <laughs> so the strength of Islam, and by the way, the Muslim Brotherhood has recognized this in public statements. The broadest door into American society is the door of the church. Wow. That's disturbing on many levels. It's very disturbing on many levels, one of which is... These men supposedly are Christian leaders. You know, there's a, the term pastor is used sometimes for a minister, and it refers to the, the idea that you have a shepherd, as it were. You know, a shepherd does not run a petting zoo. A shepherd is there to protect his flock. And the religious leaders that we have in Nashville, Tennessee, now, by the way, I'm only condemning 95% of them. There are a few out there. But 95% of the religious leaders in Nashville, Tennessee, are spineless, gutless, sweet, kind, nice, compassionate people. They're mm-hmm. wonderful people, but you don't want them, in a, you don't want them if, if, if it's a tough situation. They don't do tough. They do nice. That seems to be the way of the, the mainstream church here in America. Uh, I would agree with you. Five, ten years. But, but you do nice, too. Uh, to the Well, I shouldn't say you do factual, yet you um, you get painted as a bigot by the Southern Poverty Law Center, which I which I agree with you is a badge of honor, as most people would agree. But um, nonetheless, it, it does put you know puts you in the crosshairs of a number uh, of things, you know, a number of issues. But well, it does this. I uh, I tell you, I judge a man by two things: his friends and his enemies. If you have friends and no enemies, you're not much to me. I want to know who hates you and why. Right. Because let me tell you something, if you're trying to improve or change society, you will be hated. Because there's always people who are establishment. And by the way, my politics are neither Democrat nor Republican, liberal or conservative. I'm a dissident. I pretty much reject them all. 
<laughs> I, I love to hear that. You, you don't come with any political agenda, just the facts, and that's exactly where where we're at here today. Um, fantastic. Well, uh, okay, Muslim Brotherhood. By the way, you you recall the Holy Land Foundation? That oh trial. yes. Okay, and, and the Muslim Brotherhood is was is an unindicted co-conspirator in that trial. Yet nothing is done. In fact, you got Muslim Brotherhood infiltration throughout the, the entire government. I mean, how in the hell does that happen? I'm sorry for cussing, but doggone, well, how does that happen? You know, we have we I've I've got, I heard a woman talk one time, and I've decided to order the book she wrote wrote, which had the same title as her talk. It was called Willful Blindness. I have learned that one of the greatest aspects of being a human being is the ability to deny the truth. You know the old expression, the Nile is the biggest river in the world? Well, unfortunately, we find that you can be very powerful, you can have stars on your shoulders, you can be a senator, and you can just willfully deny anything you want to. It's uncomfortable, so we don't deal with that. Doctor, it hurts when I touch it right here. Well, then don't touch it. And so that's what we do with Islam. It hurts when we touch it. Well, don't touch it. Hands off, as opposed to engagement, intellectual or otherwise, hands off. And here, here's the great tragedy of this. We have a civilization that has the intellectual cornerstone of critical thought and the ethical cornerstone of the golden rule. When we throw away critical thought, we've thrown away half of our civilization, and then we, when we agree to treat an, a political system that has no golden rule, a religious system that has no golden rule, and Islam does not have a golden rule, we decide we'll do basis with them as equals, even though they don't have the golden rule, then we've thrown away the other half of our civilization. So we're out here brainless and goofy, but we're sweet, and we'll give you money if you need it. We'll have to borrow the money, but we'll give it to you. Hmm. Okay. Well... Uh... We hear a lot, you know, with Islam and the, especially with the increase of, of refugees about Sharia law. Yep. And we hear a lot of, you know, uh, Dearborn, Michigan has this influx of a Muslim population to the point where police won't even go and patrol areas of Dearborn, Michigan, uh, pretty much staying out of it. And we, we've heard talk from there all across the country about Sharia law being implemented for the sake of, uh, the Islamic people who are living in this country. Is Sharia law compatible with our Constitution? No. Goodness gracious, no. <laughs> let's, let, and, and let's just touch on this briefly. We've already said that Islam doesn't have a golden rule, so what this means is we don't get treated as equals. The Constitution goes through a lot of trouble, particularly once the amendments are added, to make sure that no one who appears in front of a judge is a member of a special class. That is, we all stand equal before the law. Now, that's theory and not always met in practice, but nevertheless, it is an ideal. The Sharia explicitly sets forth different categories in front of the law. There's the kafir, the non-believer. There's the demi, the non-believer who's agreed to subjugate himself to the Sharia. There are women, there are slaves, and then there's Muslim males. So, in a Sharia, there are five categories of legal class. Well, that does not match our Constitution. The other thing is our Constitution can be adapted when need to. Sharia is not capable of adaption because it's based on the Quran, which is perfect, complete, universal, and eternal. Once you have those qualities, there's nothing you can do to change anything. So the Sharia is changeless. Now what Muslims say is our Constitution is man-made law and is therefore jahiliya, 
which means it's from the age of ignorance. It's the work of ignorance. Whereas Sharia law is from Allah and is therefore perfect God's law. So therefore, our Constitution, Article 6, says it's the supreme law of the land, and the line of Muslims is not the supreme law of the land. And that's just only a few places where the Sharia does not match our Constitution. Oh, well, let's go with free speech. <laughs> Good luck yeah. on that in the Sharia. How about freedom of conscience? Good luck on that. You can kill, if you leave Islam, it's like Hotel California. You can check out any time you want, but you can never leave. So you, it, it fails on all criteria. Freedom of the press, freedom of speech, freedom of conscience. No, it's not there. Interesting. Uh, we're at half past the hour. Folks, you're listening to Bill Warner. Dr. Dr. Bill Warner. Uh, politicalislam.com is his website, politicalislam.com. You know, folks, I, I did not know this. Now, he's written a lot of books, but, uh, for example, A Simple Quran. Um, the Islamic doctrine of slave, or I'm sorry, uh, uh, Sharia law for non-Muslims. Which, by the way, Sharia law, Sharia law for non-Muslims, is uh, a, a, one of the top-selling books uh, on uh, Sharia law in that niche market on Amazon. So, uh, plus under Islamic law, yeah. Yes, and, and folks, go to politicalislam.com and, and bookmark that website because. If you want factual information about Islam that is not hyped, it's not twisted, Dr. Warner has charts. He's got investigative research project information. For example, uh, I'm going to throw this out there, ladies and gentlemen. Between 632 and 1922, you know, for that 600-year period, basically, Islam launched... 548 offensive battles against classical civilization, mm-hmm. and he's got a database. Now you've got a you've got a database, battle map, and, and I mean all of this information at you know for our use for you know present, presenting the, uh, the the facts about Islam. So I just want to say thank you for that. And again, your website politicalislam.com, politicalislam.com. I would suggest everyone bookmark that site. Now, having said that, um, I mean. Okay, so so Sharia law, since it's not compatible with our Constitution, and we know that, how is it that we have a congressman, and maybe this is trivial to you or other people, not you, but other people, uh, Keith Ellison, the first the first Muslim in Congress, I mean, taking his oath on the Quran, what are we thinking? I mean, really? Uh, you, you, you presume something there, which I'm not sure we're doing. You called it, what are we thinking? <laughs> we seem to put our thinking cap down and put on our stupid hat. It, it, it's it's yeah. amazing to me how otherwise kind, good, and decent people who are quite intelligent, I mean, they can be a CPA, they can be a professional, but when it comes to Islam, they suddenly go, well, you know, we can't criticize that. Really? Islam mm-hmm. is the only thing we cannot criticize? That's an odd thing to say, isn't it? Very much so. And why can't we criticize it? Well, you're afraid, aren't you? You're afraid of either being called a bigot? Or remember, one of the top questions I'm asked is, aren't you afraid? <clears throat> to which I respond, well, of course I'm afraid. Do you think I'm a fool? Wow. Dude, okay, now, i I, I got to tell you, um, it's a stunning admission, but it's an honest one, because, you know... Anytime, I mean, I mean, look at those people who have criticized Islam. Um, I'm trying to remember the name that uh, name of the gentleman who ended up with a knife in his chest. 
Um, but there's uh, so many not Tim Fortune. That was uh, oh, who was that? Yeah. In in in, in the Netherlands. In the Netherlands. Right. I mean, it, it seems to me that, uh, and and I expect to see this oh, soon. Oh, Van Gogh. That's right. Okay. Yeah. I expect to see the uh, you know the life insurance underwriters. You know, rating a policy. If you criticize Islam, you're going to, you're going to have a higher premium. Uh, now, have you been threatened? I, I got to ask this. Have you been threatened? Because you, you, you've no, I have not. Talk. And and okay. the reason is quite simple. I, if you'll notice, that so far, like I told you, Muhammad preached the religion of for 13 years and converted 150 people. Then I went ahead to say he averaged an event of violence on the average of once a month for the last nine years of his life. I do not criticize the man. Instead, I say Muhammad was the greatest warrior who ever lived. He created an entirely new form of warfare called civilizational war. Now then, I just leave it hanging there like that. I say that he was never capable of being discouraged. He never quit. He kept on going no matter how bad the situation is. All of these things are factually true. I do not, for instance, some people call him a pedophile. I do not ever use those terms. Instead, I say he married Aisha when she was six and consummated the marriage at nine. Since I never criticize, I never mock, therefore, as a matter of fact, I've had Muslims write me a little confused because when I say things like he was the greatest warrior who ever lived, no one dies for Caesar today, they're kind of like, you know, this guy may even be a Muslim himself. So I use neutral, I use statistics, I use facts. Everything I say, I can point to an objective fact. So as a consequence, I never vilify. I just say we have a problem. Uh, as a result, I've never been threatened. Now I've been called stupid, I've been called racist. By the way, what's with the racist thing? You, you know, well, I mean, it's like, it call me stupid, sense. call me a bigot if you want to, but racist? What's race got to do with Islam? I've never exactly. figured that out. Yeah, I mean, I mean, anyone who would hurl an insult of racism or calling you a racist or anyone a racist for talking about the, uh, a religious or a political uh, system or Islam itself is is ridiculous. Racist, nothing to do with Islam. You know what I think it is? Racist is the term they can use since we're not out on the street and they can't use other choice words. It's just the most stinging hardest cutting word they know to use and so that's what they use it doesn't have any factual truth it's just like that's our dirtiest word we can use and I have a comment to make here have you noticed that the term racist when it's used now people don't even bother to respond defend or acknowledge it's like yeah whatever the word has kind of been worn out in terms of its emotional impact I remember when you calling someone a racist would make them cringe and cry on seek forgiveness but now it's like whatever exactly yeah and I'm not sure if that's a good thing or a bad thing. I, I think we're, well, it, it, it's just... Well, it's, it's a bad thing in that it's been used so much, so inappropriately, it no longer has a precise meaning anymore. That's right. It's, well, a, yeah, most it's become a universal smear. Exactly. If we can switch gears here, Mr. Warner, uh, Dr. Warner, uh, I'd like to ask you about ISIS. Um, the I guess first is, is ISIS Islamic? Well... Islamic State is pure Islam, unmitigated, unapologetic, full-blown Islam. How do we know this? Well, first off, we have to discuss, the, let's answer a question here. What is Islam? If we're going to say are they Islamic or not, we need to know what Islam is. Islam is the civilizational doctrine, which includes religious doctrine, political doctrine, and moral doctrine, that is found in the Quran, the Sirah, and the Hadith. That is what Islam is. 
the doctrine found in those three books. Now that we've established what it is, we can now measure a Muslim and say, well, how much of Islam do you meet? For instance, Islamic State, they have sex slaves. Well, Muhammad had sex slaves. Sex, the sex slavery is laid out clearly in the Quran, laid out clearly in the Hadith, and laid out clearly in the Sirah. So since Islamic State is using Yazidis and Christians as sex slaves, they, and in their magazine, Dabiq, they go on for six pages with careful, careful exposition of doctrine to show that Muhammad had sex slaves. All of his companions, with the exception of one, had sex slaves. So therefore, having sex slaves is pure Islam. The business of killing kafirs, or that is, people who don't fully obey the Islamic laws, even though they're Muslims, there's, there is support for that in the doctrine. So everything, when you read Islamic State's output, they go through exquisite, well-reasoned. Remember, the head of the Islamic State, Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi, has a Ph.D. in Islamic studies from Al-Azhar University. You don't get better credentials. I, if you will, grade their homework every time they justify what they do. Everything they say and do is dead on. They always score 100, in my opinion. So, yes, Islamic State is pure Islam because okay. they fulfill all of Islamic doctrine. You know, when you when you talk about the Islamic State, what comes to my mind is the is the mass murdering um, machinery of 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 ISIS. And, and you know, when if if I was just to throw out the the phrase mass murder, for example, to to the average person on the street today, I, I think I think most people would equate mass murder, genocide, whatever, to Hitler uh, or or Stalin or or something like that. You know, you, you look at these twentieth century totalitarians as the worst of the worst but then islam you've got to know the truth and i know bill uh, dr warner you, you islam it has killed more than any of those yeah. past all of them combined the enormity of the slaughters of this of this so-called religion is so far behind comprehension that even honest historians overlook the scale you're talking about just one example the islamic conquest of india is probably the bloodiest story in history Yes, you know, so, so the the disconnect is crazy. I mean, go ahead. Well, one of the things I did as a scientist, I was amazed to find that a lot of simple questions had never been asked. And one of those simple questions was, how many people have died in jihad? What I call the tears of jihad. Now these are rough figures: sixty million Christians, eighty million Hindus, one hundred and twenty million Africans, and ten million Buddhists, for a total of two hundred and seventy million killed over fourteen hundred years. That's a lot of dead people. Muhammad himself, if you want to call mass murder, in one day's time, sold off every Jewish woman who was in Medina as for sex slaves, wholesaled them off, adopted all the Jewish children into their Islamic families, Muslim families to be raised as Muslims, and sat there beside his now 12-year-old bride, Aisha, as the heads of 800 Jews were removed. Their crime, they said Muhammad was not the prophet of Allah. Now, I, I don't know what you call killing 800 people in one day, a mass murder, but I think it sneaks up on the definition of mass murder. It's a heck of a day. Yeah, absolutely. 
Yeah, yeah. In, in fact, I mean, the statistics, and again, folks, Dr. Bill Warner is our guest, politicalislam.com, his website, bookmark that site for fascinating information. He's got over 90, folks, 90 videos. This will keep you busy for a while. You want to know about Islam? Dr. Bill Warner, as far as I'm concerned, is the premier expert on yeah. Islam. Uh, and Dr. Warner was just explaining something. Uh, you, you mentioned the the aspect of uh, taking the Hebrews in, into slavery and using the women as sex slaves. Do we still see that today um, practiced yeah. by Islam? Um, what part does Islam play in slavery and what part has it played in the past? Ah, now you've asked a truly interesting historical question. I taught for eight years at a black university, and here's the official history of slavery in the world. Slave, white men, evil white men on wooden ships got slaves out of Africa, brought them to America, and sold them and treated them cruelly. Well, there's truth to that, but let's go for the whole truth. Where did they get these slaves? You know, if you're, sailing, if you're a sailor on a sailboat, you do not park your boat and run off and grab a bunch of people in the sh- jungle and bring them back as slaves. You're a, you're a sailor. You sail a boat. And just like a truck driver doesn't make the televisions that are in the back of his truck, he got them at a loading dock. In the same way, every slave that was brought to the West was sold by an Islamic wholesale slave trader. They sold them on the East Coast, the West Coast, the Mediterranean Coast. And so every slave in America has his origins in Islam. Muhammad financed his jihad with, for the, with slaves. Muhammad had black slaves, white slaves. He, had, he did not have Hindu slaves. He had black ones, white ones, Arabs. What's interesting is all the slaves in Muhammad's biography and traditions always it gives their race. He stood by and prayed while slaves were tortured to extract information. He had black slaves. He stood by and, and while Ali beat Aisha's black slave Baria to extract some information out of her. So Muhammad was wholesaled him, retailed him. The pulpit he preached from was built by a slave. His garments were sewn by a slave. He was as into slavery as he had sex slaves. His favorite sex slave, her name was Miriam. She was a Christian girl described as wavy hair and fair of complexion. By the way, here's an interesting fact. Now Muslims tell black folks that Islam is the religion of the black man and Christianity is the religion of the white man. Isn't it interesting that we have people like Cassius Clay who adopt a name like Muhammad Ali when both Muhammad and his cousin, son-in-law, Ali, were slave owners. And yet we see that slaves are considered to be the white man's problem. And by the way, I don't have a problem with blaming whites for their involvement in slavery. Where I do object to is to not go fully into state up that slavery was practiced in every society, and that the chief practitioner of slavery in the West was Islam. You make how a great in, How come that's in a story that's not well known? It's certainly shocking you, enough. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you know, over a hundred. Um, I don't recall the author. Um, he, he wrote a, uh, a book. I think the late. Uh, the legacy of Arab Islam. Anyway, he cites where over 110 million blacks were killed by Islam. There were 28 million Africans who were enslaved in the Muslim Middle East, and 80% of those captured were were never never reached the slave market because of death. Uh, you know, the death toll from. By the way, let me make a comment here. 
My please. study yes, says it ahead. was 120 million. His says 110 million. I'm 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 pleased with the near correspondence. So, wow. I mean, the numbers are staggering. Yes, and you're right. There, but what's worse is what? the numbers are ignored and never referred to. Yeah. Have you? I mean. You, Someone page Bill Maher or, or Colbert or you know <laughs> Tom uh, what's his name Hartman, yeah uh, or uh, it's unbelievable. Okay, uh, I mean th- yeah this is cr- this is crazy. And, and you know what, doctor, um, I've been doing a lot of research about the, the and, and I'm going to make people's heads explode about the Nazis, but it's amazing to me the role Islam played in the in World War II and the Nazis and how uh, Hitler and his henchmen, including him, um, uh, Himmler and others, had, had recognized uh, Islam as, as uh, well, a weaponized, a form of weaponized religion and great warriors because they, you know, they, they exploited the, the Muslims themselves. But having said that, I mean, any thoughts on that? Well, I have a, an extensive library on Islam, and one of those books is A Detailed History of the SS, the SS plan for the Jews was not to kill them. Their first plans were to simply ask them to leave, and if they didn't want to leave, they'd take them to uh, Middle East and park them there. But there were some meetings held between the Grand Mufti of Jerusalem and Hitler. And the Grand Mufti of Jerusalem explained to Hitler that there... And by the way, I've read Mein Kampf. In Mein Kampf, the Jews are never threatened with death. G- Hitler hates the Jews, but he doesn't say he's going to kill them. Anyway, the Grand Mufti of... Uh, Jerusalem said, look, Muhammad shows you the way, and he told them the story of the 800 Jews killed in one day. It is interesting that in the SS annuals, the thought of killing them all came late, not early. And the question has to hang in the air, did the Grand Mufti influence Hitler? Because Hitler was a great admirer of Islam. He said Christianity was a wuss religion. He said, Islam, now there you get your soldiers. Get an eye for that kind of thing. That's uh, exactly what we you know. Our research has has uh, uh, developed, and of course, you know the many. Peter Lavenda comes to mind too, an author I mentioned earlier in the program uh, about uh, the Muslims and the Nazis, as well as others. But of course, you've done a lot of research, and folks, again, uh, Dr. Bill Warner, his website. Uh, visit his website and also YouTube's. I mean, so many YouTube's with uh, talking about all of this that we're talking about. You could spend days there. He's made over ninety of them on his channel, Political Islam Channel, folks. You please visit there and, and really understand what we're dealing with. And what are we dealing with, Doctor Warner? About the alien invasion or the invasion into well, the Syrian refugee crisis. If you want to get broad, let me, about let me it. tell you something about the Syrian refugee crisis. I have an organization in Europe called CSPI International. It's an NGO, 501c4 basically, deals with education. I get to, the best thing about what I do are the people I get to meet. And one of these people is an Iraqi who was a Muslim who's now a Christian, and he preaches in Northern, he preaches the gospel within the sounds of Islamic State's artillery. He's a, because Arabic is his native language. Now, Arabic has many flavors, and you can usually tell where a person is from by the flavor of Arabic they speak. He said, I have spoken with these so-called Syrian refugees. I would estimate that one in five is Syrian. And he says, these are not refugees. They have brand new parkas on. And he said, most, he said, the most of them are young, high, uh, strong males. 
He said, I would estimate, now this is a rule of, he said, just this is more of a guess. He said, there's roughly 10% of them are Islamic State. So the Syrian refugees are neither Syrian nor refugees. And yet, England, uh, yet Europe is bleeding and saying, oh, yes, send us your poor people. We will take care of them. We will let them rape our women. We will give them free food. We'll do everything for them. And then for some reason, they'll be nice people. But anyway, Muhammad's greatest invention was civilizational war. There is no aspect of being a human being that Muhammad did not use for war. Prayer, clothing, everything. Bathroom habits, while history is to be viewed. He had an answer for everything. Most of the time in military, you want to occupy territory, and if you're going to be an occupying or colonialist force, you want the tax money and the power to get more tax money. Islam wants more than that. They want your entire civilization. Islam is not satisfied until the Sharia rules everything. So Muhammad's genius was to view every aspect of civilization as a tool of war. For instance, we're already getting it here. They've had it in Europe for some time, where Muslims come out into the street on Friday, commandeer the street, and do prayers in public. Now, there's, this is a great illustration of the difference between politics and religion. The prayer is religious. Commandeering the street is pure politics. Do you follow me? Right. If you and I go out and commandeer the street and shut down traffic, I'll meet some people with blue lights who have no sense of humor. But when the Muslims do that in America, the police stand back and make sure you don't bother them. So there's your perfect analysis of the difference between political Islam and religious Islam. What we ought to do is apply the same laws to them as we apply to everyone else, but they get a pass on that. Yeah. We don't want to offend them. By the way, do you ever wake up some mornings and just get offended by what's going on around you? Oh, absolutely. Every, every morning, Dr. Warner. Me yeah, too. <laughs> but somehow or another, you and I are in the political class that is offensive-free. Uh, mm -hmm. Okay. <laughs> now, that is the application of Sharia. We need to understand for our audience here that Sharia law is not law in the sense of having a judge with books behind him. Sharia is a community law, and it can be enforced by the community. So therefore, we see that we are beginning to take on the aspects of Sharia when we say, okay, I will not be permitted to speak at a university because it would offend Muslims. Well, not wanting to offend Muslims means that we're already obeying the Sharia. By not busting them when they commandeer the street, we're obeying the Sharia. There you go. Yeah. You're, you're absolutely right. I mean, so we we have self-subjugated ourselves because yes. of... Yeah, okay. Well, look, 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 look. Islam is not the problem. We are the problem. The ministers are the problem. The rabbis are the problem. The politicians are the problem. We are the problem. If we would show up one morning and say, we're going to win and we're going to take totally, total victory, it would be easy. But instead we come out, well, we don't want to offend anybody. My my best, my brother has a business partner who's a Muslim. I don't want to offend him. Huh. Okay. That's... We need to we need to get in the business of offending some people. Indeed. Yeah. All right. So so how do we go about doing this? I mean, and, and folks, Dr. Bill Warner is our guest, and he's been on numerous, numerous talk shows. He's got a radio show himself and... And uh, a Nash or in Tennessee, biggest uh, station in Tennessee. But, but 
what do we do? How do we handle this at this point? I mean, you got Trump coming in saying, you know, let, let's um, talking about the refugee issue, but also equating that with Islam. If if you were the head guy and you had the you know free reign, well, how would you handle all of this? What would you do? I would start with education. <clears throat> First, name the enemy. I would start with education. If I were if I were emperor of the United States, which I'm not, nor am I going to be, I would mandate that everyone understand the Quran, understand the Sirah, understand the Hadith, because everyone, when they find out what really Islam is about, when they find out who Muhammad really was. I have some books on my shelf about apostasy in Islam that is leaving Islam. Every Muslim who leaves Islam makes the following one of two discoveries. They study the Quran enough to understand the true nature of Allah, or they study Muhammad enough to understand the true nature of Muhammad. Once you truly understand the complete knowledge of Islam, and by the way, the average Muslim does not understand much about Islam at all. <clears throat> Sorry for the froggy throat there. But uh, so I would start with education because once you educate people as to what the true nature of Islam is, then you don't have any problem with a solution to the problem. All right. All right. So we start with knowledge, and after that we have to organize ourselves. This is not something you can do by yourself. One of America's favorite myths is the lone gun hero, the lone ranger. Right, rides into town. The bad guys feel can sense his courage and skill with arms and so he rides off into the sunset and the town is now safe again great myth but Superman ain't living you have to work with other people if you're a Christian you need to start working within your church if you're an individual you need to start educating your friends and family because once we understand the true nature of Islam we can then do something about Islam the problem with George Bush was is he just wanted to wuss around with it and he did not want to call out the enemy for who they really are you have to understand that the Bushes were in the oil business. And if you're in the oil business, you're in the Middle East, you get to know some very powerful, wealthy, charming Muslims. So yes, George Bush has no understanding of Islam at all. So anyway, we start with knowledge, and I would certainly have the law enforcement and the military to study this, and I would mandate, remember I'm only saying here because I'm emperor of the universe, I would mandate that everybody has to know Muhammad and everybody has to know Allah. It's a, it's it's about intellectual. This is an ideological war. The bullets and bombs are the least important part of it. I agree. Uh, I'm I'm totally agree with it because well, how do you see our future twenty years from now if we continue on the same trajectory as we're continuing right now? And and I do suspect that there's nothing really going to change. You well, now I must say, as, as a student of war, I disagree with okay. you. Because okay, go ahead. War is a nonlinear affair. On December eighth, nineteen forty-one, the Japanese were winning big time, but it didn't work out that way in the end because we decided to go to war. If we ever decided to go to war, we would win. This is what drives me so crazy. If we only wanted to win, we could win, but we don't want to win. We want to tie. We want to walk hand in hand across the finish line, and everybody gets a smiley face and a gold star. That's no way to run a nation. We have enemies, and we need to recognize that. So it's a, it's it's all about so, so, education. So, Once people know what so Islam you, is, they become transformed. So, so you do see hope then with oh, education. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, so there is hope. Okay. Good. 
Okay. And like I say, war is nonlinear business, and by that I mean it goes in alert. For instance, if Europe decided, you know what, we're going to take care of the immigration problem, because what we're going to do, we're going to make some declarations here. And the, the declarations you would make would basically forbid the public practice of Islam. Now, if we ever decided we didn't want Islam, Islam would go away. That's a very important statement. That, that's a tremendously important statement you just made. Look, uh, Dr. Warner, we got about uh, 90, well, a minute and a half here left. I can't believe how fast this hour went. Um, to, to, to tell people, plug your website and your book, your books. Okay. How, how can people get a hold of your, your, your site and your books? You have to have okay. What's unusual about my books is, is they're not about Islam, they are Islam. That is, Muhammad and the Unbelievers is a, an adaptation which is easy to read. And by the way, everything that I say can be verified from the prime source. I'm all about working strictly for Muhammad and Allah. Not your best friend or somebody in your work. I deal with Muhammad. My books are straight. I paid a, a, a 14-year-old one time $20 to read Muhammad and the Unbelievers. She could read it easily. That is, these books are written not to impress you with how smart I am, which is a question we probably don't want to work deal with too much anyway. But instead, when I was a professor, my pride was is that I could explain very difficult things to people who thought they were hard. And that's what I've done with Islam. I've made it simple, easy, and straightforward. Anyone can understand Islam now. And if you don't believe what I say, I'll show you how to verify it. Excellent. Well, uh, well, Dr. Warner, we're going to have to have you back on. Please, well, you have an open invitation. Yeah, I'd love. We'd love to have you on on a regular basis because people are just. We, we you know, what starting. Uh, and this situation is mean, not over. Uh, the uh, of Islamic the immigrant situation. This is only going to continue. Oh, people. listen, Would it's going to be in the news for the rest of your life. Yeah, Amen. this is the great yeah. question of the 21st century. Will we accept Sharia or reject Sharia? That is the great question. Hmm. Political Islam has subjugated civilizations for 1,400 years. Politicalislam.com. That's politicalislam.com. Dr. Bill Warner, truly an expert in, the, in this field, fantastic author. And check out his YouTube channel. Go to politicalislam.com. And, Dr. Warner, thank you so much for spending time with us today. Oh, well, thank you. God bless you, my friend. Thank you. All right, brother. Bye-bye. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Excellent one-hour interview again. Wow. Politicalislam.com is the website. Fantastic. Check that out. We'll be back f- with Katie from Essential Oil. Yeah, you're going to want to listen to what she's got to say. This is important. Stay with us. This is the Global Star Radio Network. And welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to hour number three of the Hagman and Hagman Report for this Monday edition, January 25th, 2016. We're so glad that everyone is joining us, whether it be through Global Star Radio Network, the place to be, by the way, or Blog Talk Radio, BTR, 
as we affectionately call them, or live on YouTube. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for your emails, all of them. We we get a lot. They they, they come in 24-7. We do read them all. And thank you so much for your letters, cards, and uh, we read all of those as well. Before we go to our guest this hour, and, and folks, I really... I really plead with you to, to stay with us this hour because there's going to be some information here that you're going to, you're going to want to hear. But before we get into uh, or with our next guest, folks, let me ask you a question. Is it possible? Have you thought about this? What about agriterrorism? Agriterrorism in the United States. Now think about that for a moment. Is it even possible? The Islamic terrorist attack that killed 14 Americans in San Bernardino has a much deeper story than what was told by the establishment news media. Much, much, much deeper. Saeed Farouk, folks, he was a graduate of the Cal State. Of Cal State. He had a degree in environmental health. And note, he was employed as a food Facilities inspector for the San Bernardino County Public Health Department. Now, now think about that for a moment. Here you got here you got a guy that's sworn allegiance to ISIS, and he's working for the County of San Bernardino Public Health Department. Okay, inspecting food facilities. He spent most of his time each day inside restaurants, food processors. He routinely routinely worked without supervision in kitchens. In, in in the kitchens of hotels and schools and colleges and nursing homes and oh, the list goes on, and, and many other kinds of facilities that prepare and serve food to large numbers of people. Now, is it possible our food could be poisoned? Of course it is. Now, how, how will people know? For example, which which boxes, which cans of food contain the poisons before it's too late? Remember the Tylenol scare back way back when, or the Tylenol uh, poisonings? Oh, well, we have a solution for you. This company, folks, check out this company, Heaven's Harvest. They offer emergency food and water supplies, but they they want to help you become independent of the scenarios I just described. They're heirloom seeds. You can grow your buy their heirloom seeds and grow your own garden. My wife took a look at this. We were talking about this about growing our own garden. Well, we don't have the space. We don't have the you know the they. Uh, I'm going to tell you something. They have the solutions. Whether the space is small, or you've got a thousand acres. I mean, it, it doesn't matter. They can come to your assistance. They've got it all. From urban to rural living, Heaven's Harvest Seeds are the answer to any type of scenario. And this is what I like best. They've got the seeds the way God designed them. That's right. They're not. They're not mutated. They're not. I mean, they're seeds the way God designed them. Did you hear me, folks? Go to HagmanSeeds.com. That's HagmanSeeds.com and order your bucket of seeds today. Every type of vegetable you can imagine, and the seeds can be reused over and over and over. This is not just a an investment for a one time. I mean, this is an investment that gives you return after return. We stand behind this company. I stand behind this company. My wife looked at this and said, wow, seeds, good stuff. So go to HagmanSeeds.com. I'm going to give you a phone number. 
Ready? 800-516-4773. Go to HagmanSeeds.com. Purchase your bucket. You'll get a 5% off discount from the original price. 5% discount from the original price. If you go to HagmanSeeds.com, this is a great deal. So order today at HagmanSeeds.com. That's Hagman Seeds. That's H-H-E-M-A-N-N Seeds.com. I'm going to tell you, you won't be sorry. What a great, what a great story. You got to read too about how they got started and such. HagmanSeeds.com. Heaven's Harvest. But HagmanSeeds.com. My goodness, what a great company. Now, ladies and gentlemen, boy, Katie Whalen, The Common Sense Show, The Health Report, you know her. You know her. You know her. You heard her. You've heard her. What a great lady. What a fantastic woman she is. Now, I say that because I've had the pleasure of dealing with her. You ask her a question about anything nutritional related in terms of essential oils. And, and I mean, the health report speaks for itself on Dave Hodges' Common Sense Show. She's a great lady. I don't know when it was. Well, it was December. Well, it was just recently. And I'll let her get into the story. Just recently, I got a phone call. And... uh Kitty says, I, I got something to tell you. I, I've got uh, metastatic breast cancer. They, they, they found this out. Well, I, I believe that she got the original or the official diagnosis on right before New Year's Eve, between Christmas and New Year's. Um, wow. To yeah. t- talk about you know taking the wind out of one's sails, right? And you see, ladies and gentlemen, you don't know what other people are going through. You've got no idea. The, the people who, who 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 wail and moan and say, "Oh, my life is horrible," or "Oh, you're doing this wrong or that wrong," you, you don't have a clue. Not 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 our audience necessarily, but the people who are who, who do who can do nothing but. Well, I'm not going to get into that, but 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 Katie Whalen. Well. What what, the, what what do you do, right? Yeah, what do you do? What do you do when you get that when that at that moment that you get that official diagnosis that hey, you've got metastatic breast cancer and it's aggressive. One in eight women will develop breast cancer in their lifetime, and uh, in 2015, there was an estimated 231,000 new cases of invasive breast cancer. Uh, to be diagnosed in 2015, and that's a staggering number. Yeah. That yeah. Any, uh, well, one more thing. So, Ted Brewer, Dr. Ted Brewer, I know that Katie's been in touch with Dr. Ted Brewer. Now, Ted, Katie's got a wonderful testimony. As a friend, as a friend, we're asking, we asked her to come on, tell, give, her, give her testimony in real time, because the, the, the diagnosis is what, three weeks ago? Yeah. Yes. Okay. So, we asked her to. We asked her to come on and share what's going on, because she's a part of our family. And folks, please, she's got a GoFundMe page, because her, she's going to tell you about the expenses and stuff. But let's support Katie Whelan. She's a member of our family. She's a great lady. 
but she's got a fantastic story. Go ahead, Joe. Go ahead. Um, yeah, and uh, folks, we just posted the GoFundMe page. It's GoFundMe.com backslash Katie Kick Cancer. Forward slash. Forward slash. Katie Kick Cancer. So GoFundMe. We'll, we'll post it on our website. Go ahead. Yeah. But, but Katie Whelan, go ahead. Yeah, Katie, welcome to the show. Um, it's great to have you back on. Uh, how have you been feeling? Thank you, Doug and Joe. It is so good to be back, and I feel great. You know, it was, I think, November and December of last year that I got my start in radio on your show. <laughs> Remember? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And you were these- gracious. Yeah, you were gracious enough to have me on. I was uh, talking about essential oils, and then Dave Hodges over at the Common Sense Show caught on and um, thought it would be a great idea to have a health segment, and so I owe it all to the Hagmans. Thank you! (laughs) Well, we owe a lot to you, and you know... In the uh, non-traditional medicine world of medicine, or in the traditional world of medicine, you get a diagnosis like you received, and, and we're going to let you t- step back and let you tell your story. But you know, it, it's almost as if you get—I'm sure it's—I mean, having dealt with some issues here recently, it's kind of like you get get kicked in the gut, mm-hmm. you know. And it's like, my goodness! And but but there are answers, and there's a good. There's a lot of good and a lot of powerful. A lot of, there's power in prayer, but there's also power in alternatives. And Katie, I'm just going to turn it over. That's right. Tell your story, Katie. I'm gonna, we're going to turn it over to you. Just tell your story. Well, thank you, Doug. And um, for all the people who are listening tonight, I want to encourage you, first off, and for the people who are regular listeners to the Common Sense Show Health Report, which is with Dave Hodges, the health report starts at the top of the third hour. It's a great show. It's taken off. It presents, you know, I basically do research and pick my favorite subjects and try and educate people to empower themselves and get out of the, what I wrote is, is get out of the medical matrix. You know, get people to think differently about health care because we keep getting pounded with this health care, health care, health care. What is, nobody thinks about what health care is except you get sick, you go to the hospital, you get sick, you go to the doctor, you get a prescription, you go home. There's so much more to it, and this is what this journey with my diagnosis has taken me on. But, um, I mean, I try to train people up to be your own researchers. That's what I did. I, I have a wellness uh, coaching certificate. But about 15 years ago, I had some health issues and started looking into, I didn't really care for the allopathic um, model, so I had a friend who was a a nurse, and she was into um, homeopathic methods and began to teach me things, and from there, it just became a passion, and I got into the essential oils and diet and just reading and researching, and then I talked to Dave for a while, I, I was on your show, and then I talked to Dave for a while. And um, we decided to put the health segment on, and it's really taken off because it's opening people's eyes to a whole new way of approaching your health, your body, your health. It doesn't belong to the medical system. It doesn't belong to one doctor or two doctors, and it certainly doesn't belong to the pharmaceutical company. And there is a, a modern model 
that is programmed into us. We're trained to believe in this modern model of medicine. And it's not the only model. So I always tell my listeners, our healthcare system is the best in the world. And you guys know that. But it's based on uh, symptom suppression and pharmacology. It's crisis care, trauma care. You know, I rupture a spleen, I want to be raced to the hospital and have a, the greatest surgeon and the greatest pain meds, but I don't want to be addicted to those pain meds years down the road and then have uh, liver trouble and um, be on dialysis. So what I try to do is educate people in other ways to live their lives. I've done stories on the dangers of vaccines, on um, healthy eating and diet, how that can affect your health. So I've covered in a year, it's been a year now, I've covered so many topics. And I, I, I don't want to brag, but I, I consider myself, because of what I do, pretty darn healthy. I mean, I, I eat right. I eat uh, non-GMO foods. I don't eat a lot of sugars and pastas and breads. I exercise at the gym three days, four days a week. I'm, I'm a good weight. I'm, I'm healthy. So when Doug told you all what hit me about two months ago, I guess the message is it can happen to anyone. So, yeah, yeah and, it, it, and, and it kind of shocked me a little bit. Um, I had a little, and, and there's a, there's, I want to address this not just to women. I want to address this to anyone with a serious health issue, and please be encouraged by this. Right now, I am in the beginning stages of this challenge, and I think of it as a challenge, and I think of it as a journey, but mostly I think of it as an opportunity. And I didn't think that when I first heard it, because I remember walking, I, I felt a little something that was odd, and um, it wasn't the usual lump that most women have. Um, so I went in, and yeah, they told me right away what they thought. They didn't have a diagnosis, but they told me what they suspected, and I went out and sat in my car and threw my hands up and started to cry, and then I went to start the car, and the car was dead, and I thought, okay, Lord, what's <laughs> one, two, three strikes here? It was just one of those days, but I, you know, the one thing I would ask people to do when they have a diagnosis like this we have been so trained to think the word cancer equals death. And yeah. in many ways, that's true, isn't it? I mean, how, how many people do we know that have had cancer? Oh, they died, right? Every person I've known that has had cancer uh, has died. And they've been, you know, m mostly elderly and family, and, but yes. Even young people. I mean, small children. The, the thing is, if I don't have the numbers... Um, I was gosh, I was I have so many websites to give out, but there I was listening to a Jonathan Landsman over at uh, Health Natural Health 365, awesome, awesome site. If you want information on the latest of anything to do with health, try it out. But um, we get these diagnoses. We have one system, and yeah, if you follow that system, I think it's like a three to four percent success rate for certain cancers using the traditional model of cut, chop, poison, cut, chop, poison. They wanted to cut, chop, poison me, and 
I'm telling you, Doug and Joe, because of what I do, and I don't even know everything I want to know. I have a pretty, pretty good foundation of, of knowledge. And even with my knowledge, I, I knew one thing. I wasn't going to rush into anything. So I tell women, please don't panic. You know, unless you have inflammatory breast disease and they catch it right away, then you have to act pretty quickly. I'm not saying take all the time in the world, but it's one of those things where you're not expecting it, you're healthy, you're living your life, and then someone gives you this diagnosis and everything stops. And, and believe me, everything stopped for me. And I, have, I struggle every day. You know, I get up, I pray, and I have good days and bad days, but I know who's boss. I know who is in charge of all this. And my natural nature is to find out why. I mean, I was the most annoying child in the world. <laughs> I don't know, Katie. I'm sure my dad would uh, argue that with you on that one. Oh, okay. Okay, is that true, Doug? <laughs> oh, yeah, he's, he's, it's true. He's remaining silent, yes. But he's fixing his earpiece. He's fixing his earpiece. It, don't panic. It, it does no good. It doesn't do you any good, and in fact, it does the opposite. So... Take a deep breath. And what I did was, I first thing I did was I, I prayed, and I got really quiet. The next thing I did was I was still in shock, and I chose a couple of very close friends who are better listeners than uh, directors. And I called them up, and I told them. And it, it released a certain pressure with me. So, you know, tell your loved ones, your family. Um, they're going to pick up on your panic and, and vice versa. But I guess the gist of where I want to go with this is there, it isn't necessarily a death sentence. And I want to take people on sort of a mini journey between now and the time we have left, and then they can continue on this journey on the Common Sense Show because I plan to share this with my audience. What a great opportunity. Um, why not? You know, I had reservations about letting the world know about my health conditions, and, and I prayed about it. And I thought, what have I got to lose? And did God allow, God allows all kinds of things for lessons and to make us better people and, you know, to, to just bring us closer to Him. So I, this could have happened a year ago, two years ago. I would have handled this differently, but I am so blessed. God laid out, you know those little foot, foot, um, little rubber foot mats you get for your shower, you know, to keep you from slipping. I feel like He put these little foot pads in front of me and just said, "Walk here, walk here, walk here." And I have this position on the radio now to help people understand it's okay. It's not a death sentence. And I so want to share my journey with them. And whether it's cancer, whether you're male or female, whether you, whatever you have that is a debilitating disease, please understand, if you research, you have the Internet there, people. Start becoming your own mini-physicians. Start understanding your disease, if it's a specific cancer, if it's an you know, autoimmune disease, whatever you have, understand that. Start questioning your doctors, not in a belligerent way, but, but question them. I mean, just as an aside, I have a fabulous surgeon, and I have been talking to her for, gosh, a month, two, almost two months now as I've been going through this process, and because of her training, 
God bless her, she believes that I need to have a mastectomy. And so I, I said no. And I told her where I wanted to go. I said, as a last resort, I'm doing it backwards. I'm going to go God's medicine. I'm going to go immune system. I'm going to look for the causes because the medical system will tell you we really don't understand cancer. We can't figure out what the causes are. Almost like there's this demon that flies into our bodies. We have no control over it. It starts growing like the movie Alien. That's not true. From, from all of the, the videos and the reading and the research I've been doing, cancer generally is your body's immune system encapsulating something that is very, very dangerous to the rest of the body. So it will actively uh, um, calcify or encapsulate toxins or uh, just whatever is happening in your system. And so actually it's a wonderful thing if you look at it that way. Cancer is not a wonderful thing, but the human body, the way it is designed, it's a great thing. It's about finding it and and doing finding these things and understanding your body being in touch with your body really honing in on your innate intelligence your pre-programmed god-given intelligence that exists within you in the spirit realm that you're not always in touch with and that's part of my journey is really listening to my body so um, Katie, if you can talk on this you know we talk a lot about the the fit we have we have physical health and mental health as part of our, our bodies, mm-hmm. and then we have our spiritual health. How much is does mental health and, and the thought process and the spiritual health affect the physical? Best question ever. <laughs> it is a three-prong, equally balanced program. And that's the thing about traditional medicine is they want to go in, they use the word battle, we want to battle the cancer, I'm a survivor of cancer. You know, everybody has over a thousand, at least a thousand cancer cells in them, so aren't we all cancer survivors? Uh, It's different things that will exacerbate it. it. It can grow in your body 10 to 12 years before it shows up. But the medical community goes after it in the physical sense. But there's so much more to it, Joe, that's correct. It's, it's very, there's such a great mental component to this. And that's why I'm saying the first thing, don't panic. Don't get your physical form in a state of stress. It's not helping the situation. In fact, breathing and, and calming down and thinking this through is, is truly your best course. Your spiritual aspect is crucial. My, I, you know, I turn to God every day. I I turn to God every minute, every second. I'm I fail miserably, <laughs> but I'll, I'll tell you something really interesting. I'm really getting personal here, but hey, I like I said, I have been given an opportunity. Why did God put me in this position? I believe it's to help other people through this and give them some comfort and some hope. But about three weeks ago, I was in bed about 3 o'clock in the morning, and I woke up fully conscious from a dead sleep, fully conscious. And it wasn't audible. It wasn't, you know, people say, oh, God spoke to me. I I don't, I'm assuming it was, but I can't explain how it happened. But I heard the words, you will live, you will live, you will live. And I, I went to sleep with a comfort, and I thought, you know, this is, this is an opportunity this is an opportunity it's not a death sentence 
I am blessed because it's a it's a stage one. I caught it early. It is a two percent aggression rate, so it's it's not super aggressive. Could be at any time, but I will tell you that the the support, the, the knowledge I'm gaining. First person I called Doug was was Dr. Ted Brower. <laughs> he was wonderful. Yeah, yeah. And, and yeah, it's my understanding. And you know, um, and he never said a word to me. He never said a word to me. Of course, I, I mean that, that, that's Doctor. You know, I mean that's a that's a privilege that you don't breach. And uh, you know, uh, w- when I learned of your diagnosis, I um, and, and you had said that you had, uh, you know, you had Talk contacted him. him. Yeah. I, I I contacted him as well, and I and I just you know I, I said please just you know please do what you can. I mean we need her in this fight. You've <laughs> you've, you've done so much for so many people, um, you know. But, but so how did that go? I mean the regimen, the protocol. Okay, so yes, he 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 had such a background because he had he had dealt with some young man who had brain cancer, and he'd seen successes simply doing it um, through nutrition. And that's, that's the main gist I want to get to people. What, what Dr. Ted did was he said, let's boost your immune system and just gave me a protocol of things to, to, to nutrients and vitamins and minerals to just start pumping in my body. He told me about, he said, you've got to get on vitamin C, high dose vitamin C therapy. It doesn't mean popping five or six thousand vitamin C's. That acts as an antioxidant in your system. That's great. High-dose vitamin C therapy is an IV, uh, generally about 50,000 milligrams, which your uh, intestinal tract cannot possibly handle. But when it pumps into your bloodstream, it becomes an oxidant. And so it actually turns, it mixes, I believe, it mixes with iron in your blood, forms a sort of uh, gentle hydrogen peroxide, and begins eating pathogens all through your system. It lasts in your system for three or four days, and you get another one. So it's killing cancer cells, uh, bacteria, viruses, whatever it comes in contact with, and the blood goes everywhere. He told me to get on that. I kind of waited a little bit. I should have, you know, he slapped me around for that one. But <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't realize just how critical it was till I started doing it, and I've had amazing, amazing results. I did a show a few weeks ago. I interviewed... The, the the naturopathic doctor that that gives me these injections and it is amazing so I'm doing a, I have so much going in my protocol and I feel so good about it I'm I'm eating raw foods no genetically modified foods no sugars uh, some whole grains vegetables juicing um, no carbohydrates well not no carbohydrates because you don't want to go into ketosis but um, you know, like I said, I do amaranth and quinoa, things like that. But it's such a clean diet. That's probably why I've lost all that weight. And I will give you, in a few minutes, I'm going to give you an update on what this has done, which will encourage people. And um, when I first came out, they, they did a lumpectomy, and they took out this lump about three inches long, an inch thick, two inches wide, and the thing about my particular cancer is you can't just go in and pull tumors out. It sort of snakes through the tissue, so it's everywhere. That's why they wanted to do a mastectomy. And I, I had this feeling in my gut, this calm feeling, don't, don't, don't go. 
Don't do this yet. Just wait. Calm down. This is okay. I've, he said, I've got this. And I'll tell you a scripture that I say every day. By his stripes, I am healed. Not, I could be healed. I might be healed. I am healed. I was healed before this came about. And I know that sounds crazy. But I believe it in my spirit. By his suffering, by his blood, by his death, by his humiliation. I have the opportunity of complete healing. It's there for the taking. How many people believe it? Well, that's where the spiritual aspect, Joe, that you were talking about comes in. This is so important, the mental, physical, and spiritual. And that's where I believe the holistic approach is so much more balanced than the traditional approach of battle it, cut it out, burn it, poison it, go on your way. Because there's not a big success rate with that. Uh, as a matter of fact, another aside, I did an article, I did a story about a month ago called The Case of the Incredible Disappearing Cancer Patient. These are cancer patients that opted for non-traditional methods, cured them, their bodies were cured of cancer because their body is the curer, and they never showed up on the statistics. What do you think about that, guys? Surprising. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, they disappear from the books. They disappear from the numbers charts and the the statistics. So, uh, doesn't matter to me because there's actually more people turning and questioning and turning to this. I'm not suggesting anybody take any particular course. You take the course. Everyone listening, people take the course that you're comfortable with. You know, you have a lifestyle that's you're young and you have kids and it's crazy busy and it's it's the particular diagnosis that perhaps a mastectomy would work for you. Then go for it. If if what whatever you do, if you have the time, if you have you know the the resources, if you can do this. And you know, honestly, it doesn't even take that much time. It's the education I want to help people with so they can bypass that and just go straight to work healing, letting their bodies heal. And so, you know, take that path. I'm not suggesting anybody take a path. I'm going to give my testimony on what I chose to do, just to get that straight. But um, getting back to um, what what happened when I had the lump, the lumpectomy, it was five of the six margins were positive, which means they didn't get it all. <laughs> and they were worried, and they were concerned, and so we did an MRI probably too soon, and um, that showed, you know, the con- that radioactive material goes in, which I wasn't too crazy about, and it lit everything up. So I thought, oh my gosh, I'm gonna die, you know. And <laughs> it was it was too soon after surgery because a lot of that lit up, the areas that were lit up were actually fluid and inflammation and all that. So I had to calm down from that, and you know, I've been eating well. I've been taking things like bloodroot and high, high, high doses of turmeric. I mean, like 12,000 milligrams a day of turmeric and potassium iodide and um, D3K2 and just all these nutrients that are, take a guess, what would these nutrients do? If you know Dr. Ted, Doug, and Joe, what do you think these nutrients are focusing on in the human body? Um... Gotcha. Restor- restoration. I mean, well, I, I don't know. The immune, the immune, the immune system. system, yes. The immune ding, ding, ding. system. Ding, ding, ding. Joe gets it. Ding, ding, ding. He gets the yeah. stuffed bear. 
the immune system is fully capable to assimilate and carry out and destroy cancer. The immune system isn't just for colds and flus. The immune system is incredibly powerful. That's the way God built it. And if we, we are so malnourished in this country, we're eating so many processed foods and chemicals, we're being sprayed from the air, we've got heavy metals in our vaccines and water and you name it, the human body is just being drowned and inundated. So that's why I'm always telling people on the show, please think about eating raw, eating green, eating non-genetics, no Monsanto pesticides, which most of your, even your whole grain naturally grown breads are dried with glyphosate. The wheat is dried with glyphosate. So be really careful about what you're eating. So we're getting all these toxins in. Go raw. Go healthy. Um, go, uh, you know, juice, whatever you can. There's so many good foods out there. I'm discovering them I, because I have to discover them. And, you know, uh, we eat really bad. So we're, we're inundating our immune systems. They, they don't function. If you allow your immune system to pop back and spring back, you will not only lose weight by eating wonderful God foods, I call them God foods, but your immune system will bounce back and you will be amazed. I was in tears just recently at watching my immune system, watching my body transform before my eyes. And you watch what God has done when it's working at its full capacity and you will be amazed. I don't know what my fate is, guys. I really don't. I don't. God does. But I am going to do everything I can to follow what I believe he's telling me to do, what I was trained to do, what I'm researching to do. I want to help anyone and everyone who will listen to, if, if I can give them a boost or a jump start to, to be their own physician, to take charge, thank you God for giving me this opportunity. And that's what I want to impart on people. So... Any questions so far? Because I want to really get into well, some other... Well, uh, one, question, one question I had, you had mentioned that you were taking uh, vitamin C intravenously. Now, I, I know that we have listeners out there who have cancer who are looking for um, intravenous vitamin C, doctors who will administer that protocol specifically, um, intravenous, intravenous vitamin C. I can't speak tonight. <laughs> how, how did you find... Like, like, you don't find one of those doctors in the yellow pages. Oh, good question. You guys are so full of good uh, questions tonight. Honestly, no that answers, is the but best. questions. <laughs> That's the best. Because yeah, yeah. uh, thank you for taking me in that direction. Because I want to go all over the place, but I can't. Um, that was actually introduced to me by Ted Brower. Ted Brower's the one that that told me get on these IVs, get on these IVs. Um, I didn't quite, like I said, I didn't quite understand. I've been on them now for, I'm on my eighth or ninth IV, and I'm up to 40,000. That's because my weight's so low. I, I don't know if I'll ever get to 50, but um, I started on them, and within the, by the third one, I was noticing amazing, my, the surgery that I had, the lumpectomy, gosh, within two IVs, it was healed. I mean, there was, there was, the, there was nothing, almost nothing there. The inflammation was down, the bruising was down. It was amazing. Um, so it's good. And here's the thing. IVs are not just good for cancer. They're, you can come in once or twice a month for health. 
Just just maintain your health. Clean out your system. Uh, autoimmune diseases, arthritis, rheumatoid, uh, osteoarthritis. It's an anti, a massive anti-inflammatory. Uh, just amazing, amazing, wide array, wide array. See, I got Doug syndrome. Wide array yeah. of 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 issues that these vitamin C's are great for. I mean, I was even talking to a physician who said people have come into the emergency room in sepsis. Now, when you're in sepsis, you can die within an hour. That's like a flesh-eating type bacteria. They immediately got him hooked up to you know seven, ten thousand IVs of vitamin C, and it began. It stopped and began to reverse. That's how powerful this is. It works immediately. So you can but, but, find this in your local area. There's actually three websites you can go to. Uh, one of them is the one I recommend is healthgrades. It, it ends in an S, healthgrades.com. And what you do is you type in naturopath or holistic doctor, the city you live in, the zip code, and it will give you a list of holistic doctors, naturopathic doctors and in your area and it grades them and you can ask them if they partake in vitamin C therapy there's another let me give you two more sites my doctor recommended for that um, let's see if I can find them I can find them one is America it's ACAM dot org ACAM dot org and then I'll have to find the other one as I'm going um, I think it was naturopaths.com. I had it all pulled up, and it's not here. But anyway, um, so, yeah, there's and you, those two sites, you can actually type in and find a physician or a naturopath in your area that will do these for you. And I'm telling you, you can sit down. The great thing about naturopaths, they sit down with you. They want to know. The point of holistic medicine is getting to the cause. You get to the cause. You don't treat the symptom, you get to the cause. There are underlying issues. What I'm finding out with my breast cancer, underlying cause. I wanted to know. I was told by my surgeon, we just don't know enough about cancer. Um, you know, it just happens. We're not sure if, you know, how, why it grows, how it grows, why it doesn't. Well, on the other side of the coin, what I'm finding out from my research and interviews with doctors who've gone naturopathic or integrative doctors who practice both, um, you know, there was one doctor, what was his name? Oh, I can't remember. Uh, I was watching a video on, on um, um, the Health News 365, and he was saying he was a medical doctor for many years, and he just kept seeing these horrible statistics on, bre on, on cancer deaths. So he began to research and got his naturopathic license, and now he's an integrative doctor because he found so much more success in the naturopathic world. So naturopathic gets to the cause. And I'll tell you a little bit about breast cancer. Am I kind of running off, or do you guys have questions? <laughs> no, this is good. You keep going. We, we have about uh, only about 16 minutes left of the program. So Okay, okay. Um, thank you. What, um, what I found out is with cancer, it's not just some, like I said, some alien that, that dives in and, and starts growing in you. It's generally some sort of, it starts in the lymphatic system, it could start in the thyroid. It could start. It's generally toxin related. Um, my here's the interesting thing about what I have and my hypothesis that I'm leaning towards. I can't give any definites, but I'm leaning towards this because I'm seeing results by the actions I'm taking. Generally, breast cancers on women are on the left side because most women are right-handed. So what's happening is they're using their right hand. They're pumping their lymphatic system. The right side's good and cleaned out. The left side's a little stagnant. Mine was on the right side. Um, 
And I had this wonderful discussion about uh, 10 days ago with Jonathan Landsman, the gentleman who does all the interviews, brilliant man, um, natural health oriented. He runs Natural, uh, natural Health 365. And he, the first thing he said to me was, I'd never met him before in my life. He said, how's your mouth? I said, how's my mouth? He wanted to know about my amalgam fillings. And most important, he wanted to know about root canals. And I had done a show about eight months ago on root canals and how dangerous they are and how they're finding out that root canals are bacteria factories that are draining into our bodies and cause heart attacks, uh, strokes, cancers, liver disease. And millions and millions of people are walking around with root canals, aren't even aware of it. So I had a root canal. He said, what side is it on? I said, the right side. He said, what tooth mm. is it? I told him what tooth. He said, what side is your breast cancer on? Right side. He said, get it out. Four days later, I had two teeth pulled out, just yanked them right out. And I will tell you, from the moment I walked out of that dentist's office, I felt an energy surge. He, the doctor showed me the teeth, too. They, they felt fine. Everything was good. But he stuck his instrument right through it. It was rotted out. So I felt an energy surge, like a flow had been opened up. Somebody broke the dam. And ah, the statistics, the American Cancer Society said 95% of women with breast cancer on the right side is from a root canal. Can you believe that? No. That is Isn't that amazing? I, I'm stunned. I mean, really. Uh, there is a cause. Uh, so one of the encouraging things that happened to me was yesterday. I went in and had what's called a thermogram. I don't know if anyone in the audience has ever had a thermogram. It's a safe, non-toxic, completely safe way, and actually more accurate than a mammogram to detect for cancer, any kind of cancer, head to toe. And it checks the heat and cold of your body, and it maps it out in colors, black and white. And I was so encouraged, gentlemen. I walked in yesterday. She came in. We had such a great talk. The girl came in on a Sunday to do to do my thermogram. And it's been three weeks since my three and a half weeks since my lumpectomy. I've been doing my full protocol, all my IVs, just eating right, doing everything, and. I went in and we looked at this and I just broke out into tears because it looked so good. <laughs> um, everything was fairly symmetrical. Um, my lymphatic system, you can see your lymphatic system via heat. You know, it's, it's uh, cooler is dark, lighter is, is um, warmer is light. My lymphatic system looked clean. And here's the thing. I had my teeth pulled five, five days ago. No swelling, no pain, no bruising, no nothing, because I had it done holistically by a biodentist, and that's a whole show in itself. But I was going to say, so, uh, how, how does that work? Well, I mean, I'll tell you real quick. It's what they do is they they give they insist that you have an, a vitamin C IV before you go in. I already had one that that day. So when you sit down before you have any kind of oral surgery, you have a massive dose of vitamin C IV, which which is a um, sort of a preventative for the inflammation, the bleeding, the inf infection, everything. Next thing they do is they pull about 15 vi small vials of blood and they spin it. They make these little plugs of your own tissue, your own leukocytes, your own growth factor, and they fill those in the hole. So 
you heal in two, three times the speed because your body isn't having to go into, oh my gosh, what is this foreign material? What's this gauze? Whatever this is, we have to go into anti-inflammatory mode. Everybody go to work. It doesn't happen because it's like, oh, this is us. This is our tissue. And it immediately starts healing. So I had, like I said, no pain, no blood, no bruising, nothing. Well, on this thermogram, my the right side where I just had five teeth pulled was actually cooler than my left side. So... But the whole point was this, please look into thermograms also. If you have to have, first thing I did was I had an ultrasound. An ultrasound, there's no radiation in ultrasound. The next thing you want to ask them or insist on is if they find something, you want a thermogram. A mammogram would be your last resort. That's, that's what um, my choice of options would be. I can't tell anybody what to do, but that's the safest way to go about it. Um, I chose for a lumpectomy rather than a needle biopsy because I'd read studies from the John Wayne uh, Cancer Institute that needle biopsies were causing um, sentinel node spread, sentinel node cancer spread. That's debatable. Doctors will argue about that. I wanted to stay on the side of caution, so I went in for the lumpectomy. But I know I'm covering a lot of ground, but... The main That's thing important is like, stuff. Oh, it is, and it's and here's my point. I thought I knew a lot, but once you're thrown in, you learn a whole lot. And I wanted to learn as much as I could, and there's still so much more I need to learn. But the more you learn, the more you calm down. Information is power. I want to know my options. I want to know what this particular cancer is. How prevalent is it? What are, I've read books and listened to videos about people who went to, uh, in the Cushy Institute in the Berkshires and all they did was learn how to eat a macrobiotic diet and their body healed within six months of cancer. So there's sometimes one thing to do, sometimes ten things. I mean, I'm doing, um, THC, 50 milligrams of THC at night and 50 milligrams of CBD oil during the day. That's on top of all my other protocols. I'm throwing everything but the kitchen sink at it. And If I can, I uh, have a friend who has a brother um, who is sick. I'm not sure exactly what his diagnosis is, but uh, the, the CBD, that's a mm-hmm. different kind of, that's um, a, a medical kind of uh Here's, here's what that's all about. It's very confusing to people because what the government has done with hemp. Um, yeah. the, the marijuana plant is, it's basically, there's the hemp plant and the marijuana plant. They're, they're cousins. They're the same plant, different strain. Hemp has no psychoactive ingredients or very little. Right. And, you know, this country was built on it. People used to make clothes and hemp, rope and everything. The marijuana plant does have um, more of the THC in it. So, what you what the the CBD oil is? It's basically the same plant minus the THC. It has the same anti-cancer cancer properties, same anti-convulsive properties. This, if you read about CBD, it has the same properties, but no psychoactive. So I take that during the day. At night, I can't handle <laughs> the amount of of THC I'm taking, so I take it before I go to bed. That has the a psychoactive ingredient. Both CBD and THC have anti-cancer properties. They're both as effective, and they it's they're, they complement each other. So so that's if that that's sort of uh, CBD in a nutshell. If that helps, and um, 
Unfortunately, you can get CBD oil basically on the internet. Just make sure it's it's organically grown and things like that. Um, you have to be in a, a medical marijuana state though to get the THC. So I am in a medical marijuana state. So lucky for but me. But the, the CBD is is easier to. I mean, somebody who's here in Pennsylvania, we're not uh, a state that has the medical marijuana. Um, and the reason I ask is because last time I, I talked with my friend, he was asking if I was familiar with this, and I really wasn't, and I haven't heard of it. And he was wondering if you know we knew where to that they could uh, purchase some because they're they're trying experimental uh, cures for whatever his condition is, and that was one. Well, and that well, that's what I would do is ask him, recommend to him that he go in to one of those sites and find a naturopath in his area that understands and works with. Uh, medical marijuana, or you're not in a medical marijuana state, who's familiar with CBD oil. You can go on some sites. I don't recommend just going on a site and reading all kinds of hoopla about it because you don't know how it's processed. Be very, very careful because you're treating a disease that <laughs> you actually need purity. Um, but have him go to one of those sites, talk to, a, to naturopaths and see if they are educated on CBD oil because CBD oil is in, available in all 50 states. It's got okay, 0.3 right. THC, which is legal to transport and use everywhere. It's the THC yep. that... Hmm. Okay. And I just want to just point out to everyone, you know, um, Dr. Tebrow and I and others have talked about, you know, how do these globalists live if there's spring or skies and if they're poisoning our food and water, how do they live to be, you know... You know two examples you know, are Kissinger yeah. and Rockefeller, over 90 years old, working part-time. Well, what Katie is doing is exactly how they're living. I mean, they, they get mm-hmm. these... Uh, yeah, the, these um, uh, IVs and, and what have you. So exactly, right, you know. Yeah, so that is that's know. what they're doing. They're not using you know unless they have to. They're not using traditional medicines, and that's such a good point. Is we can delve into these things and find out for ourselves and demand answers and demand more information. Talk to your doctor. I'm trying to educate everybody I know just by standing my ground and saying, you know, I'd really like to do it this way. And my doctor finally relented and said, you know what, Katie, I support you. I do. I support you. I'm going to give you my advice. But I would like nothing better for you to come back to me in six months and say you're clean. So it wasn't like that at first, but that's the amazing thing about just standing your ground and, and wanting to know these things. But you're right about the elite, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> and before we run out of time yeah, here, again, Katie's GoFundMe page is uh, GoFundMe It's help Katie, slash. help Katie kick cancer naturally. Yeah. It's, it's help, I think it's Help Katie Kick Cancer. And Katie right? is K-A-T-Y. Uh, right. Katie Kick Cancer, yeah. Forward slash GoFundMe forward slash Katie Kick Cancer. We're, we're gonna we're gonna have a link on our website to to that uh, because you know what? Look, folks. And can we put help, your email up too, Katie, for those who might want to reach out to you? Um, Absolutely, and it's all okay. on my it's all on my um, Family Essential shop. All the contact forms uh, they can get a hold of me. Yeah, there's phone numbers and all kinds of uh, information. I cannot give advice. I will tell everybody right now. If you want advice, I cannot give it. What I'll do, though, is on my blog, theessentialoilwell.blogspot.com, which is right underneath the YouTube uh, banner you have, I'm going to post in the next day um, as much information as I can that I have rattled off, you know, the websites and, and different things like that. Please. for people to refer to. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I, I mean, K- Katie, we need you around. And when I heard this, I was just absolutely, you know, just it was like a uh, I got hit by a truck when I heard this. And then <laughs> to, to hear, and, and this is real time, folks. Okay, and then to hear uh, the well, what Katie's going through, how she's approaching this. I do hope, and I know this will enrich, help uh, many others who are in a very similar position or have family members in the position. And it just it blows me away too about the about the root canals and thinking, oh my goodness, and you know, okay. Um, so, folks, please listen carefully. I mean, you know, please take heed to what Katie's saying. She's not giving medical advice; she's just telling her story. So, mm-hmm. but, but and there's but, so but, much we don't out. know. There's so much we don't know. That I want people to take a breath and oh, there's hope out there. I have hope. I really do. I, I see it as an amazing challenge for me. Thank God it wasn't aggressive. But I'm very blessed. I'm going to do whatever I'm doing, and I thank the two of you so much for letting me come on the show and, and share this. And everybody listening, please don't give up hope. Don't don't fall into the medical matrix. Empower yourself and pray. You, you know, Katie, you're an inspiration. And I really would urge everyone to support her to, uh, through this because, you know, it's expensive. Because I, Very. Uh, Obamacare is not going to give you the... Uh, you know, blank check for you to... I mean, Obamacare is not covering this at all. Much of what I'm doing is not covered by insurance because the insurance companies and the big big guys don't want this stuff out there. So, yes, it can be expensive, but it's worth yeah. it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, and again, uh, Katie, I just... You, you got so many people in our audience praying for you, so many emails of support for mm. you. Um and, and she should serve as an inspiration to all of us. And the information that you provided tonight, fantastic stuff. But uh, I love uh, you please guys. come back. Oh, I love you. you know. Thank you so much. Oh, we're going to keep you around, kiddo. God bless you. God bless you. Thanks, Katie. God bless Katie. you. All right. Mm-hmm. That. Folks, wow. that will do it for us tonight. That was a, a fantastic show. Dr. Uh, Phil Warner in hour number two. Thank you. And Katie uh, from Essential. Yeah, and we've been hold I've been holding back on this information just uh tomorrow. Stan Dale will be with us. Mm. Until then, stay safe, God bless, have a good night. Thanks, Katie. Thanks, Katie. Good night. Thank you. Doug and Joe have left the building. This is the Global Star Radio Network.